Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Hey, it's Matt from the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur here. Thanks again for listening to the DTVC podcast. Before we jump in, I wanted to quickly let you know that my new novel, A Girl and a Gun, is available on Amazon now, both on Kindle and paperback. It follows Justin, a successful writer, whose past as a scriptwriter for a fetish porn site comes back to haunt him and threatens to derail his career. As he's picking up the pieces, he gets an opportunity to make a movie called A Girl and a Gun with a rom-com star. Justin may have bitten off more than he can chew, though, because she's notoriously difficult to work with. If you're interested, you can find the link on our webpage, along with the link to my first novel, Chad and Accounting. If you have any questions, please reach out, and I thank you for the support. Now, on to the podcast. Video Connoisseur Podcast. As always, it's Matt here, and I am joined uh, once again by special guest uh, Rich Haas from the DTV Digest. Welcome back, Rich. Thank you for having me back again. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I was I was saying, um, you know, I think before we started that um, I remember at some point I think you had reached out to to me, and I think even Ty and Brett at come up and to see if we had seen the movie that we're going to be talking about today, Shadow Fury. And so then I think when we were looking at topics, that, that this one just kind of came to mind as, as 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 a good one for us. Yeah, and I think I, I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about the total total force and absolute force movies, uh, if I recall correctly. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There, did we did we cover those? Exactly. So those were the yeah yeah yeah. We yep, the, um, yeah, and um, there's a sort of a tangential connection there because right. of uh, Timothy Bottoms was the star of those movies, and yeah. during that conversation, I possibly referred to Shadow Fury as well because of uh, this movie actually starring his brother, Sam. Yeah, because I think we were talking about that. We were trying to figure out, I think there was, it was either this movie or there's another one too that I think we may have confused the two. And then we discovered that, that Sam Bottoms actually passed away um, and, and mm. he's no longer with us. And I think that's when we were talking about it and then it was like, oh yeah, he was in Shadow Fury. Um, and I think that, that maybe even what the picture is that they use um, or one of the ones on his, his page is, is of him in this movie. Yeah, this was um, a few years. This was this one was 2002, and he passed away in 2008. Uh, I think he did a fair amount of work uh, between those periods, but uh, yeah, this is certainly this is certainly the one for me, as far as I'm concerned of, of his movies. I mean, 
go into his performance and stuff in, in a bit, but I, I, I just, I like, you know, my cards are on the table completely that this is one of my favorite movies. Um, uh, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm really looking forward to us having this conversation. Excellent. Yeah. I think that that's going to be good. I think it will be good to get, get excited. I, I, this was one that I think, um, I don't know if pleasantly surprised is the right way to describe how, how I, I felt about it, but I think th- this is definitely one that I think there's there's a lot to it that I think you know as we as we discuss it some um, that I think for for people out there that 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 you know like you know B action movies this this one has a lot of pieces to it that I, I think the average B action movie fan uh, can really sink their teeth into. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can approach it from a number of different viewpoints uh I, this is a very uh hong kong influenced or you know asian influenced kind of action movie so it's coming out of that tradition of um american style movies that have that you know fast paced or wire work kind of action going on uh, drive was one of the you know sort of uh, it's, I wouldn't say it was a hit, but it was very influential at the time. And then Rush Hour was around the same time. So you've got these East meets West kind of team ups kind of happening throughout from, from the sort of mid 90s onward. And this is one of the sort of late, the later ones in that kind of storyline. But I think the, I think just the the way it's put together and the concept and everything is it's every, it's a lot of stuff we've seen before, but it's very playfully done. And there's lots of little interesting things about it including you know appearances by um, popular you know uh, recognizable actors that we've you know people are you know fans of that we'll get into and the 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 film itself has you know action that is kind of in the in the same sense as 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 drive and films like that and, and films of isaac florentine you know it's just a cut above what you would necessarily expect i mean this could have been this could have been something like a total force or an absolute force but they've gone that extra mile, and even though they're working on a really low budget, they've managed to, you know, you know, cr- create stuff that's really visually interesting. Yeah, and, and speaking too of the visuals, one thing that um, stands out for me a little bit with this is that you know we're, we're into two thousand one, two thousand and two here, and this is kind of the end of an era for direct to video in the sense that this is a film that's shot on film. It's not you know digitally created, and I'm not you know, poo-pooing the idea of, or I'm not saying it, it's bad if a movie shot on digital, because I understand one, from a cost standpoint, it's really important. Um, but there's that look of a film that's shot on film that, it, it, I don't know, it gives it a, a, a different vibe that I think, this movie definitely, I think, benefited from that. That I, I don't, I think if this had been made in, you know, instead of 2001 and mean 2011, it, it would have been a different movie. Yeah, because if you, I mean, comparing it to something made now, so Hard Kill, with uh, one of the Bruce Willis, you know, uh, movies really comes to mind in that, you know, that's got really sort of bland, kind of uninteresting uh, uh, industrial kind of, you know, warehouse locations, basically, uh, which are quite common in the action genre for that. And this is, this is a perfect example of that kind of thing. It's, it's all set in, it's all shot in like back alleys and, you know, nondescript uh, areas. It's kind of, uh that the even the you know it's it's set in a future where there's this like a, a cloning organization that's uh, you know this is like high-end you know scientists and you know they're supposed to be cloning chickens and and and, and they'd get, get up to all sorts of other stuff so they're, they're basically a high-end outfit but the way that the way the sets are and everything in the movie it looks like they're you know they're, they're back alley 
back alley scientists or something because they've, they've, there's literally no uh, production design really to you know to the film in in that sense you know there's you don't get remember in the in the 90s we always um there was that water treatment plant or whatever that that was always used as the as the futuristic building where all the scientists would be and you would see it in pretty biodome the paulie shaw movie used it as well and it was just this really distinctive building uh that sort of just said futuristic and that that would have been the kind of setting that this movie should should have had for some of those scenes but they just didn't have the money clearly and so it, it's all shot in uh very worn down buildings and stuff but i think the film there's so much going on in the film uh that for me I, it, it's not really something that i linger too much on or think about i mean it's again it's set in the future but there's no like big establishing shots of you know car you know futuristic vehicles or anything it's literally nothing it, it it's like a it's almost like a five minutes in the future because everything else everything looks basically exactly the same as normal but it's a world where you know clones exist and stuff yeah i think that's probably the best way to describe it is that that sort of five minutes in the future sense where um because there really isn't anything that's done like there's no fancy technology beyond the cloning part um i think there's one like a tracking device that they use at one point um that that i guess would would maybe hint at that yeah but yeah there's no like video phones or um you know um, yeah there's none of that i mean that was all really common at the time you know it, there, there would be a disc or something you know there's 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 no mention of there's i don't think we i think there might be one or two shots of a computer yeah but that's about it <laughs> yeah and the computers that they had definitely looked like something Maybe not even from the age. They looked older. They looked like they could have been mm -hmm. from a previous, uh, you know, from you know five or six years before. Uh, so, so yeah. So even in that sense, we're not really even getting anything. Um, I'm trying to think. I think the main character, the um, the the, the female lead, uh, mm. uh, Alexandra, Alexandra Camp. Camp. Yep. Yeah, I think she's on a, an iBook or an iMac at, mm -hmm. at one point, or you know, a, oh, okay. a portable mac and so oh yeah and the, the lead scientist uh, the the one she's working for uh he's got an apple uh, uh macbook or whatever yeah i think i think that for itself that would have been for that time that would have been uh, you know i on the one hand I'd say that would have been expensive but on the other hand you almost think I, I think even at that time apple was ahead of the game in terms of you know um using computers to do you know, video editing and things like that. It's possible that that would have been, you know, one that maybe somebody owned on the on the crew. Um, you know, somebody who was making the film that uh, that included that in there because, yeah, that one that that definitely stood out for me. Like, I, you know, usually when you see laptops in these movies, there are these big bulky things. Um, mm. And I mean, that was still would have been bulkier than like a MacBook Air, but it definitely looked um, higher end for that period. Yeah, and going back to sort of the. The fact that it's not showing you all this stuff and it's got that particular kind of filmy look to it and different aspects of it. It's kind of a film that looked, it even looked, it it looks like it's from a different period. It doesn't really look like a post 2000 movie to me. Even when it came out, it felt like something older. Uh, I think it's just in terms of the the look and the style and the the, you know, the, the conventions and, and, and all the all the facets of it and that kind of over time that has actually become given it for me a more timeless feel so it's it's not really a film that fits in you know it doesn't look like drive it doesn't look like rush hour it doesn't look like you know uh, one of the the more recent vod movies or anything it's kind of got, it's kind of got its own 
distinct identity, even from uh, other films that that the directors, uh, the director is uh, Makoto Yakiyama, and he did another film after it, or around the same time, called Extreme Heist, uh, also called um, uh, I can't remember Wicked Game, uh, which never got released in my country. I, I, I got an imported tape of it. Um, it's and it's it's got the same kind of budget sort of look as this and, and some of the same sorts of things going on but it's not at all as memorable a kind of movie this one is kind of for me it's just it just feels like a lightning in a bottle movie that's it's, you know it might not be perfect might not be everyone's cup of tea but but for me it's like um you know i, I get more out of it every time i watch it yeah and I, I and that actually kind of you know maybe as we, we start talking about the film i think that is one thing i think about this movie that i think it, it does have that feel um, of, you know, unrepeated viewings. It, it can sort of, there, there's, there can be more to it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Why don't we, I'll, I'll kind of get in, I'll kind of get in on the plot a little bit here. And the other thing yep. too is I think I may have missed some pieces of the plot. So if I, if I've got anything wrong, let me know. Cause um, I may not have, I may have misunderstood some of it, but the, <laughs> the, the basic idea is that you've got this company called Novacorp who um, they're working on cloning technology and, uh, among their scientists, there's a renegade scientist played by uh, Pat Morita, and that renegade scientist, um, he has cloned a, a, I guess, you know, a warrior um, or a, a killer, I guess you could even say a ninja, I think they call him, they refer to him as a ninja in the movie, um, name of uh, Takeru, um, played by um, uh, Masakatsu Funaki, and the idea is that Morita is sending this killer out to kill his fellow scientists, which include Alexander Camp, who we'll talk about later. Um, and then I think who was the the, the bad uh, the main bad guy? Was it was it Alan Coleman? Was that uh, yes, Doctor Hiller, Doctor Hiller. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Yeah, and so the idea is that in in, in order to protect themselves, the, the, these doctors hire um, or a mercenary um, or bounty hunter um, played by Sam Bottoms, uh, Mitchell Madsen. And the story behind him is that he, I now this is this is a piece that I was a little bit confused about. He he's not able to get a liver transplant because of his blood type. I think is that what it was? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't figure it out either because he was supposed to he, he was he was on a, an organ donor list. And so my understanding, at least in the United States, when it comes to being an organ, because I know this uh, uh, from a, a experience. One of my dad's friends, um, he had cirrhosis of the liver and he couldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop drinking. He just, you know, he, right. he kind of made it clear that he wasn't going to stop drinking. And so they don't give liver transplants to people who don't stop drinking. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And, and it didn't seem like that mattered for his character. It seemed like he had to demonstrate that he was going to stop drinking because he just kept drinking um, even despite yeah. that. Um, but he did have a certain set of skills that would be required to, to sort of maybe, you know, take out. Um, I think they also were hiring him to, to, to take out Pat Morita. Um, and and possibly take out uh, uh, Takeru uh, when he goes. And this is, I think, what you were talking about too, in terms of the locations. Um, I think I was a little bit surprised when we go to where we think, you know, uh, Pat Morita's lab is and his his his, his location. It definitely seems a little out of the way. And um, I think that was maybe my initial confusion piece because it's almost like Sam Bottoms' character at Mitchell Madsen. He gets there very easily. Um, this happens at the very beginning of the movie. He goes and um, um, and takes out Pat Morita pretty quickly, um, but then he has his first encounter with Takiro there. Yeah, and it's quite uh, apparent that he's he's far out out outclassed basically. And what we've got here is the 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 movie the movie is basically set up in as a futuristic 
cowboy versus samurai kind of story and the although they refer to him as a ninja so it's a it's kind of a samurai slash ninja kind of thing that they're going for but they've said it in the future uh which i think works nicely i think got um i mean mass masafunaki is excellent you know a, a, you know as you know presenting that kind of uh stoic you know trained killer kind of thing and obviously we've got the the element of uh that he's a clone and and, and things like and, and that whole thing and sam bottoms is kind of the world weary gunslinger and you know he's sort of uh yeah i think he's he's not playing it as an action star you know, he's, 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 it's kind of, it is an action movie and he is the main character in it, but he's, 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 he's not, um, that, that good in, in the action scenes. If you see what I mean, obviously it, it, there's no way that he could actually defeat or, or, or even stand a chance against Takeru, but they kind of try and make it seem like that he, that he's not completely outclassed or whatever by, you know, him somehow managing to sort of, get out of things or get the upper hand, you know, because uh, Funaki, uh, Takeru can just, you know, deflect bullets and and basically with his sword. And that's all that Mitchell Madsen's got uh, apart from his attitude. And so, so it's, so it's quite a weird setup and yeah, he's, he's initially, they have, they, they have that initial encounter and they become, uh, you know, that that's establishing the, uh, both the, 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 the mission and sort of his, growing personal animosity and you know his you know not wanting to be uh in uh he he him wanting to take this guy down basically and you know because he's you know he that's just the way he does it he's he's got the mission and he's going to get it done and he doesn't like because he's got this past that they go into where you know things didn't work out or whatever and uh, you know he's 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 a guy who doesn't tolerate failure even if he's dying, you know, he's just going to keep, he's just going to keep coming and, and do, do what he can. Yeah. You know, thinking of him in that, that mold of like sort of the aging gunslinger character, mm. um, you know, I felt like there was one that came to mind, um, you know, it was Bronson in um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, that one kind of mm. came to mind. Also even kind of going further back, I'm um, thinking of High Noon where, you know, you've got Gary Cooper's character, in, in this setting where um, and, and, and you know it's a it's it's a little bit different um, in the sense that uh, you know high noon it was like they, they didn't want him as the sheriff taking out the bad guys because they wanted they had this idea they're gonna you know commercialize the town and, 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 and a gun you know shootout would be bad and he ends up having to take them out by himself anyway um, mm -hmm. and there's but that, that that sense right of the person being like kind of like you said maybe outclassed right like that the future yeah. is sort of there and he's 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 not you know he hasn't caught up with it with his old ways um but the other people well that's a very traditional kind of again we've yeah. seen that you know loads of time i mean yeah. uh soldier with yeah. kurt russell which is a bit like this because uh, takeru is is a similar a variation on the same character but that um uh, or the same sort of storyline sort of character story that um kurt russell's character todd had in that film you know he's this train killer trying to sort of discover his emotions and and things uh and then he's got to go up against you know the new breed kind of thing and that's what they do with this they've got the the new breed of fighter which comes along later but you know robocop 3 did it you know the, the, so many of the so many of these kind of movies have, have done or uh you know universal soldier and stuff they've all done the 
the old version versus the new and improved and can can the old beat the new and usually you know that's the, the the way the story usually plays out is that you know the fact that something's new and fantastic doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to you know defeat the 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 uh the experienced uh you know uh fighter or whatever so the yeah so that's kind of the the setup here and and you mentioned Charles Bronson I was just going to linger on that for a second because one of the things that I find interesting about this film is that if you look at I mean Takeru Masakatsu Masakatsu Funaki to me he's got that Shokasugi kind of look to to you know if this feels like it could have been Ninja 4 for example and because of that sort of canon thing, it's almost like this this movie could have been Shokasugi and Charles Bronson or Shokasugi and Chuck Norris, you know, if it was made in the 1980s. Uh, and I think although Sam Bottoms is just, unfortunately, he's, he's not in the same league as, as either of the, those guys, uh, Funaki is just, I think, perfect as, you know, um, as a sort of a stand-in for for a Shokasugi, you know, imagine like a like like Shokasugi in um, in Blind Fury or, or one of his or one of his leading roles, you know, is or, or you know, this could have been if this had a bigger budget, they'd have probably gotten like Jason Scott Lee, or you know, someone because the, there's there's the Bruce Lee kind of stuff they they throw in there as well with with them Takeru's shirt ripping off and and stuff they trying to and again he kind of he kind of represents all those guys i think i think that's what, what's so great and, and uh funaki's a um i believe he's like a a mixed martial arts fighter uh is what his you know profession was you know he's he's, he's not an actor he's, he's done a few acting roles but they they brought him in from that world so that's why he's he's you know got such a striking sort of physical presence in the movie and uh the yeah so, so i just i just think it's interesting that it's you know this could have been this is like a post-canon movie i mean it's it's not i mean it's not like a new you know we've seen new image movies that have that sort of canon sort of feel to them and stuff but i think this even more so than any of those it's just kind of a just imagine you know what could have been <laughs> um if the, if this was in the 80s and they'd had a bit more of a bigger budget and sam Furstenberg was directing or something you know yeah i know it's it's a, it's a really amazing way to think of it i mean this movie feels kind of like post that right it feels post canon it feels post pm it feels like post kind of post an error you know when we think of like the 80s and 90s um in very different you know in a different way than like what we were talking about um last time we were talking about um you know absolute force and total force where um you know those kind of felt like two like kind of the end of something but they also felt like very lower budget and they felt kind of mm-hmm. more like kind of a you know a fun time that you're having whereas yeah this felt like it's like there aren't many movies beyond this point that really felt like they could they could fit in the the 80s and 90s era that we think of as maybe that kind of like the the real heyday of, of DTV action. Um, mm. And I think that's the thing about this one. Is that it, it, like you said, one, it, it feels timeless in the sense that like, you know, it doesn't feel like it, it, it exists in any specific time um, from a story standpoint, but I think, you know, how it was shot on film, um, you know, there's some elements of it that, that make it more modern because they're, they, they kind of bite on the matrix and a few things like that. Um, but overall it, 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 I think from a, a, an action standpoint, this, this definitely had that feel of like, an error was ending, you know, part of the end of an error, um, you know, from what we were used to in the nineties. 
Yeah, and even the sort of, you know, the the wire work stuff that they, they brought in there, which was a sort of probably would have been spurred on by the Matrix, but was more sort of in keeping with the the sort of Hong Kong aesthetic that they were trying to go for. And uh, that I think even that was kind of Peter, you know, this was not, a, a, the wire work kind of thing didn't really stick around very long. So not actually not many, not many films after the the early 2000s have really done it so you we we see a lot of uh very good you know martial arts movies uh, features and shorts that are very physical and athletic but not with the kind of um you know and some with really good falls and stuff as well but this this one's got like you know lots and lots of flipping and turning and you know um, you know really exaggerated kind of stuff that that say is more pop is more recognized in say isaac florentine's for films for example but this is kind of uh i would say even more exaggerated like somebody gets thrown off a roof and they're literally like spinning all the way off the roof or they or they or they drop by a, a massive there's like a couple of points in the film where they they drop or jump on on like a massive wire uh, and those are kind of big stunts that you, you don't generally see very often. And yet, unfortunately, because of the budget and that you do, even though they may crop, you know, get rid of the wires, you know, hide the wires, you can see the effects like clothes are being sort of pulled, you know, up. So you can tell where they where they've done it, but the, it doesn't ruin the the impact of what is a great stunt of, you know, somebody literally jumping from the top of a building and coming down. You know, and they don't have the. There's no CGI and stuff involved, apart from maybe re removing some wires. And I think that you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't see that in, in a, in any film now. Uh, I mean, we, you know, this film doesn't have any car chase or whatever. But the, um, you know, any sort of explosions, car chases, and and stuff are very limited in any um, low budget action film that we see these days and, and this one gives us you know lots of uh fight action including say all the very in interesting and sort of crazy wire work uh, and these big uh, big jumps and you know got some explosions and stuff in there so there's a although they're working with not you know it's a very low budget film and it's got you know as we've sort of already talked about the, the sort of locations and stuff and you know there's no there's not like big crowds of people there's not loads of extras or anything but they've they've used what money they had to really put you know the action on screen and to tell the story that they're trying to tell within within that, those constraints which which again is something i i really appreciate and invest some money in 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 performers like pat marita to come in and just sort of be basically day players and just add that little bit of value um i i think i think you know pat marita is it's a film full of mad scientists, but Pat Morita is the first one. He's the main sort of mad scientist character. And he's, he's called Dr. O and he's got the wild hair and stuff. And he's really sort of hamming out. And he does a couple of jokes and stuff as well. Cause obviously he's a, um, Marita has that uh, background in comedy and stuff. So he brings something really interesting to those early scenes. And I like, that's why I like one of the things I like about the movie is we keep spending time with these different interesting characters. These performers kind of come in and out of the movie uh, while while we're following the journey with uh, Madsen and Takeru, whose, whose stories kind of uh, 
we chop we cut we cut between the two of them and they're kind of it's that whole two sides of the same coin and you know we're following their journey and are they so different and all that sort of sort of stuff and as we're following them they're interacting with uh different characters and and essentially having their own uh having the following the same story from different perspectives you know uh, so they both have they both meet women and, and talk about and you know get in touch with their feelings and and whatnot but uh, then we've got these peak characters like pat marita and the great fred williamson turns up for a couple of scenes as well yeah now, now a couple of things that interesting that you mentioned that i think um i was going to maybe bring up as, as sort of connections here with the director mm. um that might be good to, to mention as we're, we're while we're here um so yes. makoto yokoyama you know i mean obviously he, he did stunt work um interesting you mentioned isaac florentine and i think you know i agree that this movie did have a kind of a Isaac Florentine feel, especially from that time period. I think of a you know, movie like Bridge of Dragons that he did or Savat. Um, no, he, did he do Savat? He didn't do. Did I? Am I right? Did he? I think. I, yeah. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Savat. Well, yeah, the same guy who did the um, uh, the the uh, stunt coordinator on this film, Tetsuo Kolke, I believe he was. He worked on uh, uh, Bridge of Dragons, I believe, or or, or Makoto Yokoyama did. One of the guys. One of those guys did, and. They've got, you know, they they have that and high voltage, I think, as well. You know, they've got that history. They, they've all worked alpha stunts, you know, the kind of stuff, you know, coming out of uh, drive. And, uh, you know, they're all there's all that there's all that DNA in there. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the what was the th what was the other thing you were going to mention about? Well, because um, well, then they're also, um, yeah, drive is one connection, right, that they. they yeah. They did stunts on drive. Um, the Power Rangers connection. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think. You know, all goes back to Power Rangers. Right, <laughs> Everything exactly. leads back there. Right. But it is interesting how when you take the suits away, right, from Power Rangers and you kind of make it more, I don't know if adult is the right term, because it sounds weird right? when you say making it more adult. It sounds like you're talking like the, the X-rated section of the video store when you're saying that. But, but you know, it... it you you can see like what the what these guys could all do and i think yeah i think you know the isaac florentine pieces is, is a good one because i think you you know these guys are coming from a similar tradition um and and I, but i think they they kind of weave in some of these elements i think you know the pat marita piece is a great point because i you know looking at the um the bulletproof um review that they did um chris the brain did for this one of the, yeah. the, the one of the complaints he had was that it didn't have enough pat marita and that's always a tough thing right because you know, how long do they have Pat Morita to shoot for um, that? You know, when you when you get someone like a Pat Morita, you only get him for like a day or something. He's going to be so good in those like small scenes that he's in. Um, you know, you don't know if maybe like it would have been interesting if he had maybe done some voice work or something where like we could have maybe had the, you know, um, we, we could have maybe had our, our main character, um, you know, um, Takeru, perhaps like talking to him or something like, you know, like, in, you know, like you could see like visions of him or something like that. Mm -hmm. But but it, it 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 was a great touch to the film to have Pat Morita there at the beginning like that, interacting with him. Um, you know, before Sam Bottoms goes to to take down Pat Morita, he is hanging out at a bar that Fred Williamson owns, and of course this doubles as a uh, a weapon shop. And you know, in the back room, Fred Williamson is helping him buy weapons. Same thing with Fred Williamson. You know, Fred Williamson, if he's going to be in a movie, if he's not going to be the star then he's got to be some kind of smaller character that just, you know, is cool and doesn't get into trouble, doesn't get, you know, attacked or, you know, he, he's got to, you know, because that's kind of his thing, right? He's got to, if he's the hero, he's got to get the girl, he's got to win in the end, you know, all of that kind of thing. Um, so in a movie like this, you know, he's kind of just playing it 
you know, quick and having some nice one-liners and things like that. Um, but they, so he's they, super they, cool in this. Yeah, <laughs> of course yeah. he is. He's Fred Williamson. He's super cool in everything. <laughs> exactly. And so it's nice, you know, it's nice to kind of see those, 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 those touches. I think, like you said, in, in a movie like this, um, that yeah. In this, but well, just interject there in this movie, Fred Williamson is basically Q from the James Bond series. Right. If Q was if Q was an arms dealer, <laughs> so I like that. I like that sort of. <laughs> yeah, and because because what happens is right. So I guess I think I'm I'm hoping I get the, the plot right from here. Um, so the 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 confrontation happens. Um, Pat Morita is killed, and Sam Bottoms feels like okay, I've done what I needed to do. I'm going to collect here, but then he's told by the scientists, I guess, right, that the clone. That Pat Morita created, um, Takeru, yep. is a match for a donor. So if he can take uh, Takeru down, he would be able to get his liver and live. I guess and, and yes. that, that's the and so that kind of brings him back into the fray. But at the same time, we find out that this cloned killer wants is is his brain just just because Pat Morita is dead doesn't mean that he's no longer going to take down the rest of the. Um, the, the scientists, and so he's still going after them. He ends up killing another one who um, um, Sam Bottoms tries to protect him. He fails, and that one gets killed, and that's when he realizes he's got to go after Alexander Camp, the, the, the second yeah. to last of the, of the scientists. Yeah, so he's... Um, yeah, so the, the, this is where the sort of personal motivation comes in with uh, with um, with Madsen, is he's basically... Yeah, he's he needs, an, he needs a liver, and, and the liver stuff is just hilarious the 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 the, the liver theme throughout the movie as as it progresses it just makes some of the, uh, it's it's unintentionally hilarious but i just uh, it's so strange. i i think it's kind of i was thinking about this earlier i think it's kind of a throwback because to because there's a there's a heroic bloodshed kind of element to this movie especially as you get to the end and i was thinking they're going for kind of a john woo thing where, because I think in John, one of John Woo's movies, I think it was The Killer. He was like, he wants to give his eyes to a to a, a blind girl or something. Because uh, I'm not, over, I mean, I know it's a classic, but I'm not. Unfortunately, I'm, I, I confess, I'm, I'm not overly familiar with. It. But I, I seem to recall there was a line like, "Give my corneas to Jenny," or something like that in the movie. And I think that's that the whole thing about the liver becomes very symbolic as as the film unfolds and. Uh, and as we get to the, sort of the conclusion, but yeah, the, the fact that they're saying, I mean, it just seems funny. I mean, if you, if they were talking about heart or something, I don't think it would be as funny as the word liver. Right. I just, cause he's like, I just want his liver. He's talking about his liver hurting, which of course it's like, you know, he's not stopping drinking. Um, and so, you know, the, the liver can only handle so much anyway. And then he's like continually drinking while he's, you know, and the, yeah, he's getting to this point where he's almost incapacitated, right? Like he's, he's barely able to stand up at points. Um, well, he the, passes out with a cigarette in his lips at one right. point. <laughs> that's right. And, but Alexandra Camp, uh, Dr. Forrester, um, she, she... And she seems to think that's charming. <laughs> right, yeah, she takes the cigarette away from him. She's, yeah. I mean, part of it, I think, in her case is she's... So, so, so the other plot point that we get here with Dr. Camp, uh, Dr. Forster, um, Alexandra Camp, she she won right. She she she's in fear of her life because this clone samurai is coming after her. But then there's the other piece, and that other piece is that. Um, so so we know that that he's coming after, her, but then she discovers that her boss, um, Dr. Hiller, played by Alan Coleman, is creating his own. 
deadly clones, um, he, or his own yes. killer clones. Uh, there's and, a bit. There's a bit. Of, there's a gap I need to fill in here. Oh yeah. Uh, and and so what they've used. Uh, it, it, so they they get uh, after the first encounter, some of Takeru's uh, blood gets onto Madsen, and so then. Uh, Dr. Hillier is able to get that because that has what is called to, uh, referred to in the film as the obedience strain. Right. So this is the the method of uh, the the DNA or whatever the the programming, you know, the uh, that 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 they will be able to weave into the DNA of the clones, which will make it possible for them to follow their instructions. Uh, and this is the the this is like the you know the the mystery. Uh, the secret source or whatever that he's been trying to get hold of and using that he can then move forward with his own project so basically there the dr o was a, a renegade but basically the, you know uh hillier is 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 just as bad if not worse so it's kind of that that you we get with one villain is gone and then we've sort of quickly established a new villain and alexandra camp is kind of the the innocent amongst them who's who's kind of going to be the the kind of whistleblower character from this point on where she's uh she doesn't want anything to do with it and now she has to be protected so it becomes a protecting the witness kind of uh kind of storyline as well as sort of tracking down uh so much you know that he's trying to get um to get to Keru. it's it's more about sort of bringing them you know getting uh to carry to come to him because he's gonna because he one he wants to deliver and two he's got to protect the protect the girl yeah and and i think this is where the the, the story takes a a, a a turn that i think again i wasn't expecting where there's some nuance and some some you know some some complicatedness in the story where now we get the sort of um i don't know if it's like the the frankenstein element but um yes Takeru's i'm glad you go, i'm glad you picked up on that yeah yeah you get to care where he kind of has the the uh, existential crisis and yeah um i think you know you you could criticize the film for for the way that they use uh you know the sort of the um the the, the prostitute as the you know the sort of the the salvation or the, the um you know the woman helping him find his humanity um that you know it seems like a common trope um and, it is it is but i think yeah. she plays it nicely i think she's a really sort of sincere character i think it, i think it works well, well, it, i think it's yeah, and the other reason why I think it works is that this movie only had 90 minutes to work with. And mm. I think using her character that way, uh, or having a character like that in the film, actually allowed us to move Masa Funaka, Funaki, you know, uh, Takeru's um, progression, you know, through that sort of finding his humanity uh, much quicker. And and, and, and it, it worked much, so it was, it was sort of like you have this established trope of the hooker with a heart of gold, I guess, for lack yes, of a yes. better term. Yes, yep. And but 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 it's used here in a really great way to further Takeru's uh, character progression. Uh, so so in that sense, I, I I actually was okay with it. Like I was I, I, I guess you could say I forgave it. But I I actually liked the way they used it here um, to not keep the not bog the film down, not go through these really big scenes of Takeru. Um, you know, because a lot of times that's what happens with these movies, right? Is that the plot gets in the way of the action, and you just spend these huge chunks of time trying to figure out um, you know how. Uh, you know, you, you could have easily added a half hour onto the movie with, with this whole um, existential crisis piece if they hadn't just sort of taken some of these shortcuts here that I, I think worked. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. Yeah. And, um, you know, the whole 
you know the hardened character sort of learning you know getting in touch with their, themselves kind of again is a very common thing and usually there is that juxtaposition with either a love interest or a child so uh, there's two child well you lean towards the love interest thing i guess but um, terminator 2 and, and the professional or leon uh, they both do that you know they're both about you know one of them's a hitman obviously and the other one's you know a, a cyborg from the future but the they they essentially work with those same ideas of you know trying to discover their humanity and that's what's happening with Takeru. and now i like again with this kind of samurai you know ninja kind of motif that they're working with he becomes a masterless sa samurai he becomes a ronin because his master who was also his kind of father figure is gone and and he's kind of adrift uh, and, and basically, the only thing he's got to latch onto is his mission. It's, it's the same with um, what, again, with um, uh, Kurt Russell in Soldier. He has to latch onto what he is, what what he's been programmed to do, uh, and you know that that's that's how he can survive. It's the only thing he knows to do, and that's what Takeru's kind of crisis is. He's he, he doesn't he do, he he can he doesn't he can't imagine himself as anything else but she's kind of presenting you know an alternative and and yes they have to talk, sort of shortcut that kind of journey but yeah he is very much a frankenstein's monster with you know without you know there there is obviously no animosity with victor frankenstein his victor frankenstein he he, he never um he didn't feel any animosity towards or anything and and now he's gone so he's kind of like if frankenstein was just you know just set adrift you know and the whole you know the, the the father relationship kind of stuff is is just sort of set to the side and sort of sort of ignored what would happen then and i think other frankenstein kind of variations have done that but the i do, I do think it's quite i do think it's quite nicely done uh the, again they, they sort of so they have their little him and uh what's her name uh what's the what's the oh, sasha um, is the is the uh, sasha character. yeah yeah. So they have a she they 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 meet a, a a couple of times I think before I think they they have like a couple of encounters before she you know and she's sort of reaching out to him she's curious about him and then you know they they very far quickly kind of try to progress a love story um uh, which is all sort of her doing she's kind of pushing it on so and yeah heavy handed maybe but um I don't know I think the way I think she re, uh, um, the actress uh, as uh, Cassandra Gray did well with what is basically a very, you know, cliched and um, you, you could argue, you know, fairly sexist kind of role. But, you know, they don't sex her up. She's kind of, you know, they do present her as, you know, quite respectably. There's not, there's, they don't li really linger on her profession in the movie. Uh, the, she does have a, you know, a pimp who comes around and, and you know, and he gets beaten up. But, apart from that they try to they try to paint her as quite an innocent kind of character uh, and i th you know i think that helps as well you know if she you know you couldn't have like a um a seasoned professional let's say uh kind of <laughs> you know doing that i don't think that would work as well i think that 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 she that she is young and looks quite naive and, and is perhaps quite lost herself i think and you know i think I think that works. And on the flip side of that story, we've got Sam Bottoms with 
a woman who, who's completely different, who's uh, also from a quite a different world to him, who's, who's this, you know, scientist, Dr. Forster, Dr. Forster, played by like, Alexandra Camp. And his his encounters with her are less about romance than a therapy session. Right. Uh, he's he's kind of going into, you know, he's, she sort of draws out his, uh, uh, you know, the, the things that haunt him, basically, you know, is, is, and then he's sort of rambling on and stuff because, you know, and obviously with the drink and stuff. But uh, so that... The, she she also sort of helps him uh, get his act together, basically, uh, as the as the movie sort of progresses. And and they, there is character development for 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 both those guys. You know, they both go on these journeys, and these women help them. And and I, you know, I think that the film sort of goes along at such a pace that it, it's um, there's the the though these scenes are the heavier scenes they don't drag too much i think they, they they sort of you know you might be sort of a bit tired they might become a bit tiresome after after you know two or three but you're never far away from the next action scene so the um i think those bits that are they're perhaps the weaker parts but not too too much of a detriment i think they still give the film its character yeah, I think they, they know how to put these things, again, like using maybe some established tropes, um, but they, they use them in a way to progress, move the film along. Um, and, and I think the result that we get that, that, that I, I was not expecting. So we, we get our first we get our next confrontation between Takeru and, and Mitchell Madsen, where mm -hmm. um, Takeru is going to, to kill Alexander Camp because he, he again, he's like you said, he's, he's a, sort of a, um, you know, he, he's he's. Sort of got his one mission. That's all he's got. Right, he's a masterless uh, uh, samurai. Yeah. And um, so they go to where Alexander Camp and and, and Matson are holed up. Um, Takeru goes. Um, Sasha tags along because she kind of wants to keep an eye on him. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 it's interesting because now the film has shifted for us, right? Where we went from having Takeru as the mindless killer, this like killing machine, and it's like, what can Bottoms do to stop him? Right, like yes. we're just in our, we're completely invested in making sure that bottoms can stop him. Suddenly, that's changed so quickly in a matter of like you know a, a matter of scenes. Where now we're saying no, I don't want bottoms to take out this Takeru, and we're hoping that like they figure out that Takeru is not just this mindless killer. Um, and 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 what ends up happening is that there's a confrontation. Um, she um, uh, Sasha kind of gets in the way to kind of keep. Um, uh, to kill her from killing Sam Bottoms, I believe it is, and then also uh, Alexandra Camp. He's about to kill her. She kind of gets in the way to stop him. Bottoms ends up shooting um, him with like a tracking device, and they get out of there. But that's when Camp starts to realize, oh, this mindless clone actually has some humanity to him. That's something that we maybe maybe we shouldn't just be worried about killing him and getting his liver, right? Maybe we need to to think about like his humanity and 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 how we can sort of save him or help him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the and the it's that it's that sympathy. You know, he he we do become, you know, Takeru becomes a sympathetic character very quickly. Uh, he's an, he, he is introduced as this stone cold killer. You know, he does kill like a, a guy. Uh, you know, to, well he kills um, the 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 scientist at the beginning, and you know the he's basically destroyed a family, you know, so it's a horrible thing that he's done and stuff. And I think there's a, I, d I don't know if he, I can't remember. He, he has this moment sort of going back 
after his, the child comes out to see her father. Uh, and this is an actress who I believe went on to be quite successful on Nickelodeon and stuff. But um, this, this young girl is kind of looking at him and, and that's that he, he looks at her and, you know, he's, he's not going to, you're worried that he's going to kill her, but that's when he sort of looks at her and he, he, he doesn't feel something, but the, the, something is sort of starting to awake in him at that point, you know, not a regret, but something, you know, some sort of hesitancy let's say and it's that it's that which the relationship with sasha builds on uh so he becomes the he, he, say he becomes the sympathetic character he makes this uh he he's pursuing his you know programmed objective uh and, and cassandra's kind of the fact that she gets in the way and you know that th th that um that happens there's a you know the uh, the accidental, uh, the unfortunate event, or whatever, <laughs> whatever we want to call it, related to the Harry Potter series, or whatever. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's uh, that is then again sort of quite an integral moment for 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 Takeru, but we've still got a way to go uh, before there's any sort of reconciliation or, or redemption or anything for that character, and that's going to come with the third part of the movie, which is. Which all resolves revolves around this uh, other element, uh, which uh, we touched on earlier, which was uh, Hillier's project, or Hiller's so, sorry, Hiller's project with with Kismet. Yeah, and so so and, and actually, it's funny because you mentioned um, yeah, the actress is a uh, Jeanette McCurdy who who plays the young girl in the film went on mm -hmm. to do like you said uh, Nickelodeon uh, work. Um, uh, iCarly was I think the most famous show that she did. Um, but interesting enough, um, also we have a young Taylor Lautner. Um, who plays so when 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 Hiller starts his his cloning work, he clones um, a, a boy who's supposed to you know who's going to be this this killer, and the young version of him is is Taylor Lautner from the uh, the Twilight films. Um, so uh, interesting, both of these kids were born in 1992, and uh, they both it's almost you could almost say like other than maybe like you know I would say maybe yeah probably other than like Williamson um, you know. They and, and Marita, they kind of grow, go on to be like the biggest stars of this film, um, kind of after the film's done. Um, yeah. So this is one of the retrospective uh, additions, you know, to the to the movies, because obviously at the time nobody knew who Taylor Lautner was. Right. But you know, I remember, I, I, you know, he he's still kind of even if he didn't know what he was, who he was, he's an impressive presence when you see him in the movies. This kid, you know, doing this fast-paced martial arts stuff. Uh, and then you kind of see now, oh, that was Taylor Lawton and that was his film debut. And then he went on to, uh, I think it was like Shark Boy and Lava Girl and other, th and other things and obviously became more famous with the Twilight stuff, but was still sort of a martial arts kind of action guy. And they did try to mold him into an action star uh, at one point, but it didn't, you know, the, the films weren't successful or anything. But if you, but he, he you know, his skills were all, all there even when he was say in this movie eight years old i was watching a clip earlier of him on uh, conan o'brien yeah. talking about um being in the movie and they were showing a clip and stuff and he was kind of a bit embarrassed about you know that was his <laughs> first thing and, uh, and stuff and then but everything I, I think people were still quite impressed with you know with with his skills and stuff and and he and that's kind of one of the elements that because of twilight and stuff and which i don't think he demonstrates so much i haven't seen them uh, I don't think he demonstrated much of that in those movies. People don't connect so much with that side of him, 
whereas he you know is i think where uh i think in his early in, in this and you know a few of the early things that they did they try really try to sort of lean into those skills that he had more um he, obviously he didn't become a, a scott adkins or anything now but you know he could have been it that could have happened but i think yeah they they, they we first got um we have that first scene with with taylor lautner beating up this uh, you know six football guy uh, and then what hiller does is he accelerates the maturity uh, and so we there's a second sort of teenage incarnation played uh, played by a guy called John Stork who doesn't have really any other credits apart from uh, a TV, uh, like a reality show. Um, and then if if it's not in, inappropriate to mention now, uh, the third incarnation is uh, UFC star Bas Rutten, uh, and he becomes the basic what I generally term as the odd job factor he provides in the movie because it was like um you've always got like where where there's a sort of a, a villain who's not a physical threat as in the case of dr hiller here there's always a, a substitute uh, you know somebody to do the heavy lifting uh, and and you know in, in goldfinger that was odd job um uh, and uh, who was the uh, the guy with the you know the taxi the 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 chauffeur with the hat and stuff, and he, you know, is a big hulking guy who takes on James Bond. And here we've got Bass Rutten, who then has to take on uh, the who comes after basically the 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 hero. But the the um, in the sort of mid middle section here, what we've got is uh, Hiller is using uh, Kismet to approach Takeru to kind of spur him on. So you must complete this mission. So because he wants uh, Doctor Forster dead because she knows too much, basically. So he he's kind of not. You would think he would be wanting to stop Takeru because Takeru was going to going to want to kill Hiller as you know next, but he 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 doesn't see that. He sees it as like a chess game kind of thing. He's gonna he's gonna maneuver his superior fighter. Uh, and to and to get him into place, and then he, you know, that will be his defense. Uh, and you know, uh, I, uh, that's that's sort of his pla his play, basically here. Uh, and say so Bass Rutten is the incarnation of that of that of that grown up version of of Kismet, which I think is pretty cool as well. Yeah, I, I like that too. I think I, I like. Um, I mean, again, I like the dynamic of the story here. That that again, it's not just simply. This this killer who um, this mindless killer that they've got to stop somehow that we've we've somehow we, we've changed this now that Takeru has humanity now we've entered we've we've, we've you know uh, entered a new mindless killer into the story um, like you said um, you know he you know, has three different incarnations um, the adult version ends up being Boss Rutten which uh, when we get to that fight scene I think um, that's a really good one just because again both of them being mixed martial artists um, yeah. I think. You know, we were still kind of in a in a phase where, where where people were trying to figure out how to incorporate mixed martial arts, and I think, you know, the, well, but yeah, I think Bus Rutten was one of the first, I think, right, to yeah. to be brought into movies as well as I mean, especially in terms of UFC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he he did a, a few movies around this time, and then kind of kept making. I mean, he he kind of I think what happens is that he kind of does some action movies, and then he 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 gets on with um uh what's the guy's name the um the actor um. I can't think of his name. The um, he's the uh, he does like you know he's a kind of a doughy guy who does comedies. Um, uh, 
Kevin James. Kevin James. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, was so he works with him on? Did he do like Here Comes the Boom and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. Kevin James has always kind of been kind of along that mixed martial arts group. Like, like he, I think he, I think he got into to doing mixed martial arts stuff, but then he's always kind of been there, like you know, at the events, that kind of thing. And so I think he, you know, he learned. I think he learned jujitsu and those those things just sort of as as an actor. Um, you know, mm-hmm. sort of doing them, and so I think he he kind of befriended some of these UFC guys, and Baz Rutten is one who who's been in more of those movies. I, I haven't really seen those movies. I just was looking up what Baz Rutten's been doing, and I noticed that he was in. Yeah, here comes the boom, Mall Cop, those kinds of films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he but around on, he didn't really do many f- films around this time. He kind of did, he did Shadow Fury, and his next movie was uh, three or four, about three, uh, two or three years later. I mean, IMDb credits Shadow Fury as 2001. At the end of the movie, it says it's 2002. So I think there's a slight discrepancy. But he did The Eliminator, where which was the attempt on a really on a and again quite a low budget to try and push Bass Rutten as uh, as an action lead. Yeah. Uh, and they te- sort of, uh, you know, uh, Michael Rooker was kind of the experienced sort of name there in the movie to sort of, you know, uh, leverage. Uh, and that was just too small scale and, and, you know, just not as not particularly good as a movie. And then he and then he did another su- sort of supporting role in a, in the film The Vault, which was another attempt to to launch a, another guy as a as an action star, which didn't pan out. Um, and yeah, he didn't really uh, he did a, he did a couple of other small things. But yeah, it's really the uh, I'm having a look at his IMDb now. It's kind of the uh, the uh, the stuff with. Kevin James is really what stands out. He's he's not really focused on a film career too much. I I, I would I haven't seen much of the stuff that he's done, but I think I I think here in this movie he works. Yeah. Uh, and apart from he's very blinky when he's shooting a gun, you know his his, his eyes are just sort of blinking all the time. Uh, so, but uh, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah. The uh, but for this sort of trained sort of killer, you know, sort of thing, he, he shouldn't really be blinking because it wouldn't he wouldn't be really reacting that way. But um, yeah, so uh, I've sort of skipped ahead there because I think Bass Rutten kind of comes in a little bit later than where we are in the story right now. I just wanted to sort of put that in in context of of the way that the the, the story is progressing. Um, before we meet Bass Rutten, I think we've got the. Uh, 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 the next, uh, I think, the next encounter with, with between uh, Takeru and uh, uh, yeah, Takeru Madsen, where basically he's had uh, Takeru's had the tracker put on him, and he, and he uh, is told by uh, Kismet. Uh, sorry, not by uh, it wasn't by Kismet, was it? Was it by Kismet? Was it yeah. was it Kismet who sent who sent him, or was it the other, or was it one of the other sort of mind disguise? I think so, was, yeah, it so, might not have been Kismet actually. I'm no, I'm getting no, so confused. I, I think what happens is is um, I think Kismet is there. So it's not Kismet, right? It's it's, it's another one. No, of you're right. Yes, sorry. Yeah. yeah, it's the clone that comes through. He, the clone yeah. tells Takeru where to go, and at yeah. that point, Kismet, the teen version, yeah, comes. And interferes with with what they're up to at that point. Yes, sorry. Yeah. And um, so that is where uh, Takeru has been basically lured. He's after the scientist. They're in like they're in like a shack, sort yeah. of. Uh, I think they're in like his house or something at this at this point. Uh, and and the the so um, Madsen has been to see Fred Williamson again. He's got a whole bunch of claymores. 
uh, and he's ready to sort of because he knows he can't fight Takeru, so basically he's setting a trap to try and blow him up when when he gets when he comes when he comes near. Uh, and this is where they kind of have a, they start they have a showdown, but that showdown is 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 complicated by Kismet making his uh, ne- uh, first appearance in in public to you know meeting them for the first time, uh, and uh, that this is this is the point where it becomes a an us against them kind of uh, forming an uneasy alliance kind of uh, story like you know to, to development. You know the, the the whole kind of two enemies coming together against a a, a common you know a, a new foe who's, who's who's trying to take back. That's a really common one. I was watching White Elephant recently, uh, yes, another sir. film with Michael yeah. Rooker, and that kind of that that does the same thing. That kind of sets up these characters of one's a bad guy and one's sort of one's one's a good one's a good guy, one's a bad guy, and that they, they 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 that film also has this kind of hunt going on between two characters in this case it's um michael rooker and olga kurilenko and the latter part of the movie is where again they sort in the same style as this they they go back you know they go back to back and you know sort of to to sort of team up uh and the you know the the gunslinger and the and the samurai are sort of say form that uneasy alliance uh and 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 Madsen starts to, to starts to find a respect for um for Takeru. You know this is uh, and this is where this is the the sort of crux of the final act. Yeah, and and one thing too that happens, of course, is that right. So Takeru defeats um uh, Madsen, but um he can't kill he doesn't kill Madsen because Sasha the um uh. The lady of the night who um is, is is kind of befriended and now falling in love they're, they're kind of forming a love uh, connection she mm-hmm. tells him no no more killing you're done killing um the problem is is that when he goes to confront he, so they, they end up tying madison to a, a post or something outside and then they go to he goes into to, to alexandra camp um you know dr forster and when he goes to kill her that's when sasha gets in the way and the 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 samurai sword stabs her and she dies um so so it's essentially takero is is he sort of mourning the death of of sasha when um the the, the teen kismet uh, john stork shows up and <laughs> confronts them and starts fighting them um, but that's also i think where timothy bottoms realizes like you like you said it's sort of like us against them um they what what is it exactly that happens he um kismet gets a, a grenade and mm. sort of tries to, I, I don't know if he tries to get it in like on his pants or something like that, or hook it to it. He does, he, like they're, they're kind of in a clinch um, to carry yeah. and, and Kismet. So he uses the grenade and then he falls into a hole. Uh, or, or no, uh, uh, Takeru grabs him and they kind of fall into a hole. Yeah. And it blows up. We think that maybe they're both dead. Actually, neither of them are being dead. Yeah. <laughs> so they miraculously survive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, I thought, didn't, didn't, um, didn't Sasha get stabbed in an earlier scene, or, or have I got? I mean, I've seen this film quite a it few was, times, but even yeah, I'm getting confused now. So, so I think she gets stabbed before, because he he ends up carrying her dead body out to bury it when they. So so what happens is, is um when when um Bottoms and uh and Camp get away, 
the the tracker goes live again and they realize oh yeah, he's yeah. he's still alive when they go back to, to to rendezvous with him he's bringing sasha to her grave um he's carrying her back there so i think that's what it was. i think it was like before kismet showed up um right right okay yeah but yeah the, so they end up they basically they clearly go into this pit right and then somehow kismet has managed to get out and then yeah. a, a few moments later it's like oh no um Takeru managed to get out as well it's yeah. like well, there's there's absolutely no way that <laughs> that, that happened. Those guys and and the they they are you know they're clones. They're not robots, so they they <laughs> would have blown up. They they would have had body parts flying all over the place. But uh, you know that's just one of those quirks of the movie that, that are quite uh, amuse uh, unintentionally hilarious. Um, to, but uh, but I'm glad they they, they did survive because if they if they, if they didn't, then the, the the last act of the movie wouldn't be as fun. But uh, that is just a really I think. It, they could have done it a bit differently or something. They, they just just end up. Um, ah, it's ah, it's 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 like that scene in um, Mercenary for Justice where Steven Seagal is basically in the back of a car, and then like within like a second. He's managed to get out of the car, and he's in a van that's driving in the opposite direction. <laughs> so it's like a, it's a total magic trick, kind of. Right. A... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but this, like you said, though, right? Like the fact that he doesn't die, it gives us a really great ending to this film. Um, that we get the final confrontation at Doctor Hiller's um, place. We were introduced to the adult Kismet, who's Baz Rutten, um, mm-hmm. but also. We find out that all of his mistakes that the doctor has tried to create, um, that they also are there to kind of fight and 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 sort of, um, yeah, to, you know, they're, they're, they 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 have some degree of fighting despite the fact that they they didn't work out. And this is kind of where you get sort of the mad scientists, like you know, old like you know, fifties or sixties movie kind of thing where you've got yeah. the the rejects or the freaks, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, um, that, all that, that kind of Doctor Moreau and all that kind of thing going on. Yeah, and so it's, it was another great element to this film that I wasn't expecting. That yeah, just added, and, and of course they they all were able to fight, which made you know the, for a really great fight scene at the end. Where did you, you notice they're did you notice they're they're all, they're all wearing huge wigs? Right. Yes. <laughs> You never see their faces. They're all wearing these huge wigs to kind of cover their face. I guess because they had a limited number of stuntmen or whatever, and they could just yeah. chop and change them around as to make as many of the as many of the um uh the the, um, the, the sort of deformed uh sort of uh creatures, sort of the reject ones of the. Of the uh, I'm trying to think the you know the experiments the you know the clones gone wrong kind of thing as 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 they wanted and. Yeah, I mean that becomes kind of a free for all kind of thing with uh, with the, them taking. So they go up against uh, they're going up against Madsen, while Takero is going up against Kismet. Primarily, those are the two battles that are basically taking place in this last act. Yeah, and the also the other thing too, you you mentioned about the wigs and the big hair, kind of reminded me of uh, an old Japanese kind of supernatural movie, Quite On. Um, that uh, Kobayashi uh, Masaki Kobayashi did um, mm-hmm. came out at sixty four. Um, yeah, I think it's um, uh, a Criterion release, and so that's what I I I, I um, rent. I, I got it from Netflix a while back. But um, yeah, kind of those kind of ghosts, almost like this idea of like kind of the Japanese ghost uh, character because they had like kind of grayish whitish faces. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, they were sort of. But I think the wigs also like they had sort of. Again, I think it's an area where like the the um, 
the inspirations and the stories and, and, and the tropes that they're pulling have kind yeah. of a dual effect. Um, and in this case, I think that the wigs had a dual effect of being able to obscure the stunt um, yeah, workers yeah. so that we could have the same ones, but at the same time, play on a tradition, um, another tradition the movie was using um, that, that I thought worked really well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This is pulling in all those influences. And the uh, one of the things I want to mention uh, at this point is um, it really some sort of similarity, thematic similarities that I wasn't as thinking about between this and the uh, Total Force, more specifically of of you know of the say Timothy Bottoms movie. Because in but in that movie, uh, what we end up with is uh, Timothy Bottoms' character teams up with Frank Stallone's character, who has been his nemesis until the end, where Richard Lynch basically uses, who again is another mad scientist-ish sort of character, who uses what he's called his neural neurolator or whatever to turn people into crazy, you know, uh, you know, killers, you know, and and they're sort of fighting off like a horde of, in the same way as what they're basically doing with this is that the, the the hordes of of, of killers sort of are, are unleashed and then these these two guys who form this uneasy alliance have to fight against them uh and so with the you know the neurolator and cloning or whatever it is it's all basically variations on the same idea um but the other thing apart from that was that i was thinking well basically Tim timothy bottom's character as the leader of total force and his character and and Sam Bottom's character are also quite similar because they're both kind of alcoholic, rene you know, weathered, sort of haunted. Um, when not so much Timothy Bottom's character wasn't so much haunted, but um, they're both guys who were, you know, military guys who who've got a drinking problem or some sort. So I thought that was quite curious that you know they've essentially done variations on the same character, uh, uh, which I quite liked. Uh, but uh, the have we, actually we haven't really talked much about Timothy Bottoms playing uh, playing Madsen, so I just want to sort of linger linger on that for a moment because he's really kind of hamming it up and he's using all these. So he, he, again, it's kind of this performance out of time kind of thing because he's talking in a way that's like old, old, very old fashioned, sexist. You know, he's using words like toots and dame and stuff like that uh, which which is just nobody no you know no i've not really seen many action movies or anything where any character talks in the sort of overt way that that his character does and i, th I don't know how much of that was in the script or or that was you know hit you know bot you know bottom sort of going to town with 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 trying to play this character because uh in in say in the total force movies they they've got these kind of absurd kind of characterizations that they do with uh with you know both of these guys both of these brothers have done with these characters they bring these sort of character exaggerations and and sort of the 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 way they they're doing it and but in this case uh, sam sam bottoms is you know dialogue is is really uh cartoonish i don't know what what, what way is the sort of best to best to put it but, but that kind of adds to the flavor of the movie which is got which is which is this kind of heightened 
reality you know it's it's something we recognize but it's 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 you know it's not it's not real but it's kind of it's conventional but it's you know it's 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 um doing something that's a bit different it's kind of going coming going back to this kind of sort of out of time kind of thing the the sam bottoms could have played it like more of he could have played it straight so you know i imagine you know i was going back to thinking about the the cannons sort of thing earlier but even if you got you know it could have been a robert ginty kind of performance you know it, it but uh but it's not he's kind of got this this particular way about him that he's doing it with the character whereas uh whereas um masu funaki as takeru is dead is dead straight you know is there's no sort of quirks to his him apart from the the, the sort of modest humor of you know him having the sort of what is this thing you call love kind of dialogue that he has whereas sam bottoms is kind of really sort of ha uh, hamming up would you agree i think you know, i think it's when you when you're comparing the sam bottoms to the tim bottoms thing yeah it's almost like they they tried to create the same character right in the two mm. movies but this movie shadow fury got it right um and who knows, you know, like you said, like it, it, it might be that I, I'm, I don't want to say that Timothy Bottoms, I feel like the two of them being brothers, I don't think Tim, Timothy Bottoms wouldn't have gotten it to the same degree that Sam Bottoms did. I think the movie gave him the room to be this character that is like mm. it, it. There is something very Western, you know, aging gunslinger about the character, um, you know that I think they tried for in total force and absolute force and, and didn't do it well. They just, I think they just, the movie had so many frenetic things going on and it was just bouncing around to so many things. And granted, this movie was moving at a very quick pace too. It just, it seemed like it worked better here. Um, and, and again, when you're juxtaposing him to the Ronin, you know, without, you know, masterless samurai of, of uh, Takeru, it, again, it, it, they feel like kind of the two sides of the same coin um, or yin and yang, maybe as, as, as this movie might've been trying to, um, to, 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 to sort of demonstrate it, it worked in a way that again, it, it gave nuance to a movie that I was not expecting to, to see. And yeah, I think even just like you were saying, the, the, the dialogue and the hamming it up, he was trying to do a throwback kind of character and it, and it, it, it added to it. It made it, you know, made him a little bit more, um, endearing I, I think but also it gave the film a level again that i just i wasn't expecting and and you've got to admire his delivery of lines like <laughs> i just want your goddamn liver right, yes, exactly <laughs> and the, of course the most famous right the most famous is uh it, it's time to boogie um yeah time you to know boogie, yeah. that's that's the, the big one it, he, that really just doesn't sit right that line right, <laughs> it's right. just like so is it time to boogie <laughs> right exactly <laughs> This yeah. is their back-to-back -back moment of uh, uh, of uh, him talk, him talk, him speaking to Takeru and saying, "Time to you know, time to boogie," and, 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 and then Takeru just deadpan says, "Time to boogie." Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's but this is after the fact. This is after that. So they form their they they do their team up and uh, uh, base uh, Takeru basically says, "You can have my liver." Right. Uh, and 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 then throwing back to that earlier line which i just quoted he then says 
I don't want your goddamn liver. I want your help. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that is that. That was another great because that's when he comes back right after um, after he's he's after Takeru has has buried Sasha. He's kind of done. Right. He's just, you know, um, and and he's saying, no, no, I I need you here. I need you. I need more than your liver. I need you to I need your help to 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 solve this. Yeah, to take take down these take down Hila. Yeah. and, And Kismet. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, using the comparison of, um, of of Total Force and Absolute Force, I think, you know, thinking of like a Steve Kamen movie, thinking of an Ingevortsen movie with a lot of those mm-hmm. sort of military-based movies that he yep. he would do, you, you there was always po- points in those films where it just didn't work. Either the story dragged down, the characters were a little bit, and, and granted, yes, this movie had some, like you said, it's some, some some kind of sexist elements where you had these sort of women supporting men um, kind of thing. But it, th- this movie overall, I think, as a complete movie, it kind of almost does whatever whatever those movies were missing. Those, you know, Steve Kamen or Ingevortsen movies. Th- there's always something like missing about those ones that this one wasn't missing. I, I, don't, I don't know if, that, if I'm if I'm if that makes any sense the way I'm describing that. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the other thing that this one does better, obviously, if, is this is a film that you know, cliched or cheesy or whatever or not, it does have heart. Yeah. You know, it's 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 developing those characters and them having their moments, especially especially uh, Takeru's journey specifically. Um, and we didn't really get any. We we don't get that in a, in a lot of say we didn't get it in the total force and that because basically we got some reflections on being a drunk and that's basically it. Yeah. Um, but the um, but yeah, that sort of those those sort of characters, those are real sort of character moments that that. You know, you might not have necessarily got. I mean, we didn't. You get a bit. So let's sort of throw back to like Drive, for example. You get a few sort of character moments where the where the guys are bonding. You know, you get and and okay, a little bit of reflection and stuff. And that's kind of what what you ha- you hook on. You you if you've got this kind of relationship building, you need those kind of moments. Uh, and this is having. This is not going to. The characters aren't brought together until late in the game so you've got to do you know you've got to have them having these other interactions otherwise it's it's you know it's just going to be uh Takeru um on his own and you know just uh just going from one death scene to another kind of thing you you always ha- uh, you know it's just this classic storytelling convention is that, that just, you have to have them meet someone conveniently to be able to have uh, inter- interactions uh, that develop them as characters. Some people some, say some movies wouldn't be able to develop the character. They t- just kind of, they get together and they have a quick love scene or something and and, and that's it. Whereas these guys, Takeru does have a love scene, but it, it's, it and it, you know, obviously it prog- the relationship progresses very quickly. But it, I think, as say, I'm sort of harping back to, something uh you know that we talked about earlier but the you know that all happens to to develop his character to lead us to this point at the end where uh where Takero has become an honorable man basically he's he's discovered he's 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 realized that he can feel that even though he's a clone he is a uh, an in, uh, a real independent character like the woman he loves you know believed in him to be uh, and now he now become now comes the heroic bloodshed of you know him having to step so 
standoff against uh, uh, Kismet, you know, come what may, you know, he's he's accepted his fate. You know, he's 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 just gonna he's gonna let uh, uh, provided it you know it gets out in intact. Uh, he's gonna let um, he uh, Madsen have his liver because even though uh, you know he uh, Madsen said he didn't want the liver, he still wants the liver. Of course he does. Um, so he's going to get, he, he wants him to have the liver uh, and he's going to have this one like sort of last hurrah moment. And he's just going to walk in, walk towards a hail of bullets uh, and have this big sort of shout, shouting. So he gets his, his uh, Bruce Lee kind of moment where his, where his uh, shirt rips off and he, and he's going to start walking up the, he starts walking up these stairs and Kismet shooting him never thinks to shoot him in the head. Right. For some reason, <laughs> so, but but he just sort of, they're in close proximity. He just keeps shooting them, and they keep coming, and then they have their sort of final uh, tussle. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it's a good fight. I think it's it's really well done. I think Bastard and and Funaki say they like you like you mentioned earlier. You know they they've both got that same background, so they work they can work with their skills and the particular kind of choreography that they're doing, and probably some doubling in there as well. I expect. Um, you know, I think there was a couple of moments where there's some, uh, some sort of major sort of wire working kind of stuff that they would have had to uh, get doubled for. But I think, you know, for the most part, you can't really tell too much. Uh, and it is it believable that Madsen would be able to fight off, you know, this horde of zombies, basically? I suppose essentially what we've got here, we've got these kind of martial arts zombie sort of characters coming out. Um I don't believe for a second that he would be able to take all those all those out, but he managed it. He you know he manages it, and and that's all part of the fun of the story. And then um and yeah, uh, we that leads us to the sort of coda of the film, really. Yeah, and and I think one of the things I think about the kind of the shooting and taking out the, the zombies um, mm. that you know sam bottoms did and i think even throughout the film his, his sort of the, the shooting it did have a bit of like a john woo kind of um uh you know sort of gun fu kind of feel to it as opposed to just like him you know kind of lining up and shooting um it was there, there was a little bit of flair to it that that i liked as well that i think again it added a piece to the film that uh I wasn't expecting for his character, who was supposed to just, like you said, kind of, it kind of just be a kind of a gunslinger, um, a kind of a throwback to the to, to a Western period. Um, the fact that he was using more sort of John Woo-ish techniques, I, I think, was really cool to see. Yeah, and I was thinking that I was thinking that you know, there's other movies that have sort of done this kind of uh, future, you know, mixing up the past time, you know, sort of fantastical kind of setting on obviously. And it's one of the, one of the films that these got, uh, one or two of these guys worked on bridge of dragons. Oh, yes. Did that, didn't it? It was kind of, uh, and even uh, cold harvest yeah. was kind of, you know, playing with those kind of uh, conventions. And I think, but I don't think either of those worked in the, worked as well as it, for whatever reason, um, but th this one's not sort of over-egging it with too much of the, uh, you know, trying to add in, uh, you know, things that really stand out as, you know, this uh, in this sort of time period, that would not exist at the same time as this other thing. And, you know, that there's a purposeful sort of, you know, um, uh, oh, otherworldliness or, you know, incongruity 
you know, they, they don't do any of that in here. It's very, very recognizable sort of world that, that we're in with this. And I think maybe that's how it, maybe that's why it works better. This kind of, you know, samurai cowboy story, but setting, you know, warehouses and, and stuff, but uh, not, you know, not, not leaning too heavily on the cowboy. You know, it's not like he's, um, Sam Bottoms' character doesn't, have a cowboy hat or anything and you know i think he does wear a, does he wear a lot it does he even wear a long coat in it because that's kind of the, so. that's yeah i don't think they do because that's kind of the common thing of like if you're trying to portray a character as by being this kind of yeah uh sort of gunsling character they might have because long coats being very popular in action movies with um uh you know, stemming from Blade Runner, largely they they started to put a lot of long coats in, and then obviously the Matrix did and stuff. But they don't really do that with this. He's kind of wearing not quite Indiana Jones, but you know that he's sort of leaning towards that sort of style of you know sort of um, uh, practical sort of beige kind of uh, costume uh, that, that he's got. You know, sort of uh, um, khaki pants sort of thing. Not not khaki pants, but you know. The, and he's and with Takeru, he's kind of he's got the long black coat. He's kind of the man in black character. Um, he looks very much kind of like a like a a ninjaish a ninja or a samuraiish kind of character. But it's nondescript enough. You know, it's not like American Ninja where they're all wearing like really colourful outfits or or anything. It's kind of very uh, very simple. Uh, and I think that again helps with that character. Is that yes, he's he's sort of representing this old period, this classic, you know, era, but he's not dressed in a way that really sort of stands out as being um, awkward. And you know, they haven't tried to make it like a futuristic thing where he's got like particular, uh, you know, particular styles to the clothing or anything. It, it's it's very nondescript and. That again is always all what a part of what makes it work, and I think Masa uh, Punaki hasn't really done anything. I've seen him in a couple of other things, but this is kind of a his right. His his this was the perfect role for him, and he was never going to be able to find anything to match it. I think he appeared in Godzilla: Final Wars, uh, and he definitely did a film with Roddy Piper, which was like a drama, and he was playing and he was. I think he was playing a a um, uh, retired, you know, sort of. I think he was working as a chef or or, or working in a cafe or or something. And he was he was kind of drawn out. I think it was called Honor. The film it wasn't very memorable. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, this kind of this movie, it, everything about the costume, his performance, and the costume and everything, all works. The juxtaposition with um, Sam Bottoms more not flamboyant but more oh more uh hammy or whatever you want to call it turn as as madsen you know sort of chewing the scenery he's more chewing the scenery uh in it, 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 i just i just think it, it adds to the sort of dynamic of the movie so it's it's not just a film that's got really fun action uh and got uh you know great appearances by you know Oh, I recognise that guy from X. What you know? What you know? Familiar? Oh, I know. I know him. Kind of you know appearances, uh, which it's you know we've said we've said all of those that it's full of. 
uh, um, but it's yeah, it's 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 just got these characters that work, uh, you know. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm rambling on, but uh, yeah, I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good movie, and it's also got lots of other little things to it that that uh, that I particularly enjoy, uh, like um, the Wilhelm scream is in there, yeah, which I which I always appreciate, um, and it's got that you might know the location but you know it's that that iconic rock formation you know that's famous from like star trek and stuff yeah that's appeared in uh loads of movies over the years which actually became because it became so common people stopped using it uh so it didn't appear in anything except sort of lower budget movies like jim winorski would go and film there and stuff but uh, for the most part it's kind of one of those locations that nobody uses anymore because it's too familiar um <laughs> But it, I like I like I enjoyed seeing that. Um, so I think that's in California. I think that's I think I must have shot it in Los Angeles or um, or, or somewhere around there. Uh, the the buildings certainly appear to be, you know, that those those kind of those kind of environments. Would Would you agree? Do you think it's that kind of so it's location? Yeah. The the credit said L A. Um, hmm. They said Santa Clarita, which is um just north of, of there. Um, okay. It's like it's you know L.A. metro area Santa Clarita. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think you know um, if you know uh, Mark Paul Gosler. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. He grew up there. I think he was born there. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit north of, of of L.A. And then another place they mentioned that I'd never heard of before was um was it Agua, um, Agua Dulce was what it was called. Um, and I don't and that's actually kind of north of that area. So mm -hmm. so that's where the the rock area. So it's actually north east of santa clara clarita so like in that same area that's where i think okay. the rock location that you were talking about is located mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's not really a town it's sort of like it's like according to wikipedia it's a census designated area which is um in the united states we have these areas that are sort of places where you can send mail to or um you know places that, that they don't really have like a, a any kind of town like infrastructure you know with like uh -huh. uh, you know but um so it's kind of probably like most of what it is is attached to Santa Clarita. Um, but um, yeah. And um, oh, and actually the area, I think you're talking about the Vasquez rocks nature's area um, is where the, uh, that, that filming that you were talking about was done. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, I've never been to Santa Clarita. Um, I have been to LA um, a couple of mm -hmm. times. And so um, yeah, I mean, Santa Clarita is essentially it's, you know, in, in the, the Metro area of LA. So it's probably just North of it. I, I, I don't know though. You know, again, cause it's weird when you think of um, America when it comes to being uh, north. So there is a a a, 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 a sub uh, um, sorry a, um, a regional rail or um, you know, commuter train that connects Santa Clarita with LA. So that gives you a sense of, of how how near it is. Because um, yeah, in America, it doesn't take long to get outside of the metro area to not have regional rail transportation here in the U.S. So, um, but yeah, that's that's the area. Again, I've never been there before, but um, yeah, I think. Um, there's probably a lot of shooting and stuff that goes on there. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I, I wanted to mention was the music in the movie. Cause it's got, again, sort of very particular style of music. And I was thinking, um, it, you know, the theme is quite, it made me think of Harry Manfredini's score for um, Jason goes to hell. That kind of really sort of, sort of stuck in my head, the, the sort of opening theme of the movie uh made me think of that um and yeah i just think there's sort of a you know like the the theme that the sort of heroic you know the 
the moment at the end where you know he does his big there's this sort of motif this theme that that they keep returning to the um uh, uh and they sort of like a triumphant kind of thing but it's got a very sort of a kitsch sound to it i think they they kind of gone for music that's that's not particular again i think it's more of more a more asian basically I don't, I don't i think the soundtrack's kind of got a bit of a uh a flavor to it that's that's not typically not typical to american style movies it's it just sort of the the, the soundtrack just sort of seems really self-consciously different yeah no i know what you mean there it, it i think it 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 it's, and the person who did the composing, um, Shinosuke Soromaki, uh, Soromachi, didn't do anything else. It just did. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so just listed for this movie. Um, but I think you're. I think it 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 added to the. I mean, it, it the, the music is something that I, I kind of keyed in on almost immediately when I when I start the movie um, because um, there's sort of the scene where the the samurai is killing somebody, um, you know, blowing them up in a car. It's like kind of a big kind of big action sequence to, to start the film. And and the music almost it gave us like gave it like a sinister element to it, where you're just like, mm. huh, this this isn't supposed to be something awesome. This is supposed to be something that's uh that's that's not good that's happening here. And yeah, I think you're right that I think it, it points it played in on some of that tradition, you know, that we were talking about maybe some of the you know older Japanese um, supernatural horror films. Um, mm-hmm. It it definitely gave the film a different vibe than you know sort of what you'd expect when you're seeing some big action scenes um yeah it's, again just another level that, that that i wasn't expecting to the film so what are your feelings overall because I've, I've i've said i've seen a few this is not a film that many that i've read many reviews of you know i know you mentioned say bulletproof action have covered it uh i know uh, i think ty and brat have covered it over on come come up and reviews i don't think they were were particularly enamored of it if i recall correctly but uh where do you stand on it in terms of, you know, how familiar were you with it before we, you know, before we discussed it today? Had, had, is you, are you fairly new to it? And, you know, sort of what's your evaluation? Yeah, I, I think um, I think I went into it probably not. You know, I, I don't know if I went into it with low expectations. I shouldn't say that. Right. Because I think um, I, I, I think, you know, the fact that you, you really liked the movie gave me a sense like, OK, this, this is it can't it's not going to be horrible. Right. Because I, I don't think our, our tastes in film are that far off that uh, that if you really liked it, that I would hate it. Um, so, I, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I think what I wasn't expecting was sort of the turns in the story. I wasn't expecting the nuance there. And, and but then you get the really great fight scenes. Like, I think the nuance and that the, the story elements they only do so much, right? Like you, if, if the action's not there, it's not going to work. And I think that that helped it. And then the fact that it moved at a good pace, right? That it, it, it had all of this development, all this character development, but none of it got in the way of the action or the pacing of the film. This easily could have been, I, I think a, a, a less capable filmmaker would have made this for you know 100 minutes and it would have felt bogged down and it would have felt draggy and it wouldn't have worked um this this definitely made i I think that part of it really helped as well i don't know i'm trying to think like yeah in terms of like stars or you know like in that level like for for me did you know did you know that fred um you were aware that fred williamson was in the movie i did know that because and and were you disappointed that he wasn't in it as much as uh, you know, is that he's just in a couple of scenes, or was that okay for you? Or? 
again, I, I think I would have been if the film wasn't as good. I think I would have been disappointed if the rest of the movie, like, like if, if they hadn't developed Bottoms and and uh, uh, Funaki's characters the way they did, um, if the, the, the elements like the, the Frankenstein elements, the, the uh, masterless Ronin elements, the, you know, the Japanese horror film elements at the end, if these kinds of things, the Western elements, if they weren't developed as well, yes, I would have been like, okay, we could have used more Fred Williamson. And, and to be honest, I think, um, you know, Bulletproof, that was, as I mentioned before, that was one of their issues was that it didn't have more Pat Morita in it. And I kind of didn't, I didn't feel that way. I think, yeah, I love Fred Williamson. He's like one of my, I, I have him as my number two DTV um, kind of action star after Dolph, um, just because mm-hmm. I, I, I love a lot of what he's done. I think he's, he's been a huge pioneer in sort of, you know, getting direct to video movies the way that we, we think of them now. Um, and normally I would be upset that he's only in the movie for a little bit, but I, I also, he was fun. The, the, the little bits that he was in the movie were fun. Um, and so, yeah, normally I would. I don't. I think if his name was blasted all over the cover, that would have probably also been an issue. I would have been like, okay, well, you're telling me there's all this Fred Williamson in the movie and he's barely in it. Um, yeah, I think that would have been another issue for me. But I, I, I would say this is, doesn't feel like any kind of Fred Williamson bait and switch, or like I could have used more of him. I, I got enough Fred Williamson for what the rest of the movie was. Okay. Wow. So you mentioned something interesting about the sort of name on the cover or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about in the US, but the in the UK that none of these guys' names were on the cover. Right. So it's a it's it's just I mean it's pretty good actually. It's a pretty good cover, but it's just the it's just the uh Masafunaki and uh holding his sword uh and it says Shadow Fury and we got a little shot of Kismet. There's yeah. no mention of Pat Marisa or anything, which is I think re- I think if it was released now that that would have been a case i think I don't, i'm uh, I, it's kind of like i ca- i kind of love how subtle the cover the, the the uk cover was because it doesn't give anything away really and then if you if you didn't know if you didn't look at the back and read the cast list if you just put the movie on uh, and I, this may have i can't remember it was so long ago when i rented it originally to i can't say whether i knew these guys were going to be in it. I, i'm sure i hadn't a clue what the film was because you know this the, there wasn't as much internet access and everything but uh I, so i probably picked this up and was pleasantly surprised i expect to see uh fred uh, fred williamson and, pa- and pat marita in it and say uh if if this ever got a re-release you know you're gonna see taylor lautner in big letters or whatever. Well, maybe not now. Is is he's not so much of a shining star now. But you know, they would still be trying to make something out of it. I think I'm surprised nobody did that. Nobody re-released it for that. The um, as a as a side note for that, in the UK it was released in a uh, kind of pan and scan version. So if I watch it now, it's got the black bars on the side. Whereas I think in the US, you guys actually got a widescreen release uh, that you know question. that filled the frame. So I because I, I there's YouTube. a yeah, there's a rip on YouTube, and I think it's in widescreen. And also, there's the UK release uh, doesn't have uh, credits at the beginning apart from the title. Whereas I know from looking at the YouTube version that that does have like you know directed by etc. credits at the start of the movie. So there's like a whole during that whole opening sequence that that it's kind of a main title sequence effectively. But the, but in the in for this particular version, they just didn't have them because um, they they appear again at the end uh, in both in both versions I believe. So they, there's a there's a repetition of the credits. So I think they I don't know I don't know if there's any other 
slight changes between the two versions you know i i i presume not that, that it was just that it's just some quirk that one version has the the uh, the opening credits and the you know burned in on the screen you know, if you see what i mean uh, than the other version but uh, yeah I, I will probably watch that i don't know if i've watched that youtube version but i i would really love to see it in uh, in widescreen and yeah. i just it would have been even better if they'd have shot it in like let full letterbox you know so that that would that would have been fantastic but they probably didn't they were probably you know low budget shoot for the box kind of you know make you know filming it for the television kind of experience so they they probably didn't do any big wide angles they didn't have the budget for you know these particularly interesting locations in order to be able to do that kind of thing so i think it's probably you know sort of 16 by 9 is kind of probably the main thing so i don't think it's i don't think this particular cut they it didn't feel like it lost too much so um but i just thought it was interesting the the, the different versions that that got released but say hey, what's um if you got it on like tubi or anything over there no so so it's only this youtube version which was um pulled from the lionsgate dvd um so it, it is hd uh, it's an HD version. That's the mm -hmm. only version that we have unless you get it for physical media. So um, it, I was surprised because this would be perfect for Tubi. This seems like the perfect kind of Tubi movie. Um, but yeah, the the only way in the U.S. that you can watch this if you don't own a copy, if you don't buy a copy of it, is uh, through YouTube, which it, it's not a bad version. I think the sound was a little bit low for me. Um, I had to kind of really crank it, but part of it might be the fact that it's very hot here um, in Philadelphia mm -hmm. and we've had the air conditioning on, so maybe my, my <laughs> ears aren't as good as, as they, they usually are. But um, visually, like it, 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 it was okay. Like I think a lot of times when I get these rips on, on YouTube, I'm like, um, you know, there, there are times where I've, I've, I just, I can't even watch the movie because it's just so, it's such a poor quality version of it. Um, also, this one wasn't put up with ads. Um, so, um, yeah, if it's the same one that I found, it's the only, it, it, there's only two, the person who uploaded it, there's only two uploads and one of the, one of the, one of them's the film and one of them's the trailer. Right. Yes. So it's yes, like they the created the account just to upload Shadow Fury, which I, which I think quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're exactly correct. Yeah. It's the same. And, and they're both HD rips, um, which is, which is nice. So yeah, I think. YouTube, you really don't know what you're going to get a lot of times. And I think the fact that you, this person definitely put the quality in here. Um, the, the only thing that yeah, doesn't have um, uh, subtitles available. That's one thing. I, sometimes I like the, the captions again, because, you know, sometimes I'm here in the, the U.S. And, and it's really hot out and I've got to. Well, the DVD doesn't have any uh, yeah. subtitles or, or, you know, captions or anything. There's not no extras or anything. I don't know if the Lionsgate one had any extras yeah. or any subtitles or whatever but uh no bad pretty bare bones uh treatment generally yeah. so okay yeah so so i mean this isn't it, it's it's not bad but you know yeah it would be nice if there was um i think one of the things i mean i get the fact that there's a youtube version i think is is good um actually let me take a look at the date because that's always that always gives you a sign so 2018 was when um was when this was uploaded, which that's usually a good sign that a movie is going to last for a little bit. Um, you know, if you see a movie on, on YouTube and it's only, you know, it, it was just uploaded a few weeks ago, it's like, you better watch it now because um, it's going to get taken down soon. But if it's lasted four years, that's probably a sign that it's going to stay up for a little while. Yeah, I generally, um, depending, on, uh, depending on what it is, I, I try to, I try to not, I try to watch legitimate 
sources as much as possible i don't watch a lot so i generally wouldn't watch but I've, you know i try to i think this kind of yeah i've talked to various people who've got different perspectives and things like film preservation as being a, a, a justification uh, i kind of see that so i kind of say yeah so if the film's not available and somebody uploads it and and stuff then yeah i can, and if it's if nobody's raised any complaints and the film's been uh, the film's been available for say a few as in as in the case of this, it's been available for a few years. I think that's pretty fair game that I feel comfortable with that. But the uh, I think the the we really I'm really surprised that why is it not not out, why is it not on Prime? You know, Prime has yeah. got so many things. You know, Prime or two. You know, Prime over you know, we over here it would be you know Prime that it should would be more, more more likely to turn up on i have seen rumblings on people you know like netflix and stuff but i, I thought no there's been no upload to netflix at any point as far as i'm aware and i just can't see that happening it's not a netflix kind of movie but yeah. the um but yeah prime or tubi it, it, it's really long overdue i think this is it perfect no of course it's not but it's a movie where you can have a lot of fun laughing you know you can make a drinking game where where um, every time uh they, they every time they mention the liver and stuff you can yes. you can watch the fun you know the fun lively action sequences you see you can get involved in the story if, and you know the the sort of you know, the emotional stuff to to whatever extent you want to whether you want to sort of you know chuckle with it or sort of be more you know sincere uh, and i think the film is trying to be sincere uh you know have fun with the appearances of like taylor lautner and stuff i just think there's so much to enjoy within its what 90 minute running time yeah. uh yeah 90 minute running time it's just for, for me it's like i mean i was rating it on letterbox for um from what from after i watched it again earlier and it doesn't have to be perfect but for me it's a five-star movie because i can just always go back to it and, and always enjoy it and i and i just feel like i'm i just feel like i see something a little bit different or you know i pick up on something uh every time uh, it's it, you know it's, it's endlessly entertaining uh, enough so it's been out for well it's basically coming up for its 20th anniversary uh, basically right. so uh yeah it's, it and it, it just a uh, film doesn't feel like it it ages it's just something quite you it, yes it's familiar you know okay it's, it's sim you know you could say it's similar to things like uh sunny sheba and uh roddy Piper in uh, Resort to Kill, and you know, or, or or when he teamed up with Bridget Nielsen in uh, Body Count, and you know, all all those kind of movies that were coming out of the nineties of, um, uh, you know, uh, the sort of uh, Yakuza kind of movies that were happening. You know, Yakuza teams up with a cop, and you know, all that sort of. You know, Russell Crowe did one as well uh, back back then and stuff. There were there's so many movies of that type. And rush hour or what but this one just feels just so different it's just got its it's got its own for me and even though they have no money to work with basically it's i just think that's great yeah i you know mitch from video vacuum always talks about with direct to video movies you know grading them on a curve right like you know you if you go into shadow fury expecting you know something like that the highest level of, of cinema um yeah you're going to be disappointed perhaps but if you go in going like okay this movie had had certain budgetary constraints. Um, they were trying to work within a, a certain limit. 
and and they're able to still produce something that, that's uh, you know relatively high quality despite all of that i think yeah. that's that's you know exactly kind of where where i fall in as well that like it doesn't need to be perfect and i think for direct to video sometimes it's the attempt um you know and and in the fact that they got as much of it right as they did i think i think even just talking about the, the sort of the each meets west um uh, you know, trope is the right word, but you know the East meets West trend that was happening in mm. the '90s. This doesn't really do it the same way, right? This no. really has a juxtaposition. This isn't just like you know Bottoms and 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 Takeru having like some sort of cultural thing. In fact, Takeru, it, there's nothing overtly culturally different about him, right? The the difference is is that he's this clone with sort of no personality who's got to find his humanity. And the tradition, the Eastern tradition, isn't his tradition, right? It's the film using sort of this Eastern tradition of, uh, of you know, the the masterless Ronin, um, you know, trying to to find purpose. And I, I, I kind of like that as well. The fact that it wasn't just simply like, oh, let's do Rush Hour again, um, or hmm. you know, let's do you know uh, Romeo's Bleeding or whatever, you know, whatever the movie was. Um, Fatal Blade um, with Gary Daniels. Right, right, exactly. Or Ghetto. Yeah. Yeah, let's instead of doing that, let's do where it's the film traditions themselves that are juxtaposed, right? The the samurai, the old samurai, and the 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 western. You know, it, I I I I almost like that better than just like you know let's let's see how how, how different they are culturally. Oh, look at you know let's see what happens when uh when you know Jackie Chen is is offered a Twinkie or whatever you know the the, the different things that would happen in these movies. Um, this didn't have any of that, and I, I kind of appreciated that too. Yeah, they don't sort of lean into culture clash stuff too much. It's kind of quite subtle. And the another thing I wanted to mention was the director, uh, Makoto Yokoyama, after this hasn't sort of been lead director on on a huge number of films, but he's been you know still very successful and very uh, involved in in action in in movies and and TV and TV stuff as well. I think. But uh, there's a film called The Fable. Uh, the Killer Who Doesn't Kill, which is, I believe is on Netflix at the moment. And he was the action director on that movie. So I haven't seen that yet. But I think as a result of sort of revisiting this, I'm going to have to try and check that out. I've heard it's I've heard it's very good uh, or, or, or so, you know, certain, you know, at least the action is is good in it. And, and so it's it's pretty good to see that that he's getting those kind of. Project. He also did one called Yo-Yo Girl Cop, which I remember buying in in around 2006 because of him, uh, and, and he was action director on that. And I wasn't so struck. Uh, I didn't. I didn't get. I I didn't find that film particularly engaging or or or, or, uh, or entertaining. But um, I'm hoping that uh, I'll have more luck with uh, with the fable. He's done so say quite a few other things, but mainly working in in. Uh, 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 over in Asia, basically, I think he's done a couple of American projects and stuff, but but not a huge amount. But uh, fun fact: he was the stunt double for the Green Ranger in Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. <laughs> I saw uh, that. Uh, yeah. what he's as he's stunt coordinator for a lot of Power Rangers series. So going back to mentioning, say Isaac Florentine, who this all comes back to. You know, this all comes back to Power Rangers. If you're a, if you're an Isaac Florentine fan. You know, and heaven knows, Isaac Florentine's got this fantastic reputation with bringing these these sort of action styles, but his films are not are less than perfect. Right. You know, they, they do have their flaws. I mean, I love U.S. Seals too; it's amazing, yeah. but 
he goes completely overboard on the whooshy whooshy kind of sound effects and it, and it, pra it practically ruins the movie unfortunately he's, he's just for me it's i just he just too, does it too much um but there's the, and things like that and i think for, for me I, as much as i love florentine you know some of the stuff that florentine has done including obviously bringing scott scott atkins to the fore was um i i, I think that i prefer this i think this is a this is a, a, a much more interesting film that that is doing some of the same kind of stuff that Florentine does. So if you if you've seen Florentine, uh, you know if you're a fan of Florentine and you haven't seen this, this is your kind of first port of call. I think now is to is to check the, to check this film out if you possibly can because I, I I really do feel passionately that it's a film that more people need to see and need to be aware of. If you don't like it, I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> I apologize, but please at least give it a go. Yeah, I think it's the best thing. Yeah, I, I think the Florentine aspect of it, I think this this feels like a Florentine film, but like you said, without sort of the the, the accoutrement that, that we tend to see in a Florentine movie. Um, you know, I think of Bridge of Dragons, for example, where that was one that my friends and I really love, but we love it mm -hmm. kind of more as like we get a kick out of it than we think it's this fantastic movie. You know, I don't think my friends and I would be watching Shadow Fury and sort of poking fun at it every, you know, here and there, you know, a bunch of, you know, or kind of doing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 approach to it that we did with Bridge of Dragons. Um, mm. Not to say, again, that Isaac Florentine's bad. I mean, I think I, 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 he has a lot of really high-quality um, action films, and I think he's... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the best action directors out there. I think what we see with this movie is we see that same tradition. It's almost like they, they come from the same place, right, with the the Power Ranger movies um, and, and working in those, those action realms there. And... This film, I think, similar to Isaac Florentine in terms of like being able to put something together that looks really good quality on a budget, I, I think is, is definitely there. And um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think for people that like Isaac Florentine's films, and I, I, I think, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's him and, and maybe Jesse V. Johnson, um, I think, are maybe the two big names right now for, for especially DTV action directing. I yeah, think. Jesse Johnson, definitely. He's, he's yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, in a way, I know um, Florentine's. I think he's taken a little bit of a step back. So I think his, his, you know, his wife passed away, and he kind of, I think that was when he was making Boyka. Um, you know, so he's listed as just producer on that as opposed to director because I think he took a step back. Um, okay. And so I think you know Jesse V. Johnson has kind of been much more prolific recently, uh, but yeah, I think those two. For, you know, I mean, I, I was trying to think of other names like John Hyam. I think you know has done some some good stuff. I think I mean Dolph. You can almost put Dolph in there now. You know, kind of with, with what he's been doing, but you know, um, this movie definitely feels like it's in that tradition of of um, of the Isaac Florentine stuff. But again, it 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 it's not as heavy handed, I think, as as the, which again, like Cole Harvest is one that I really enjoy. That's it's one of my favorite. I think it's it might, one of my top five Gary Daniels movies. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I really really like that. I love the the fight scenes between Genesee and, and Daniels and and all of that. And and that movie really works. This is like a, a kind of a subtler version of that. Um, it was, you know, of course, a different story than, than Cold Harvest was. But, you know, yeah. the future of this movie is a subtler future. Um, the fight scenes, yeah, I mean, some of them are, are, are they, they, they look like they're definitely pulling from the Matrix. But they're also pulling from the Hong Kong wire work tradition that looks really good. And and so there's a lot of painful falls and stuff in this movie yeah. as well. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So I, I agree. I think at the very least, because generally the way I, you know, because I, I don't do like the, the, the star thing um, as much. Because mm. I, 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 you know, I think I think if I was going to do stars, I don't know if I would go the full five that you did, but definitely a four um, for this. 
but for me, I'm always like, you know, should you watch it or not watch it? And I think this is definitely uh, you, you should watch it. I think maybe the free version on YouTube is a good way to go because um, you, you're only investing your time. And I think for some people, there are probably parts of this film that maybe people, I don't know if I would say they, they wouldn't like, but I think it, because it, it, there is a little bit more to sort of take in in, in the sense of like kind of understanding some of the traditions that the film is trying to work in and, um, you know, kind of seeing, you know, how that goes. Um, you know, sometimes that would happen with Albert Pion with his movies. You know, I, I'd watch yeah. one of his movies and be like, yeah, he's really trying to work in a certain tradition. He's trying to give us like some old, you know, 50s, 60s invasion movies and, and try to give it to us in a modern spin. spin. And, you know, you'd go into the reviews and people would be like, this movie was horrible. And I, I think if you're someone who, who doesn't want to try to, you know, who, who kind of goes into a movie just like, do I like it or I don't like it? You there, there is there are things that you might say, OK, maybe, I, I you know, this is. I've seen this before. I've seen this or whatever. Um, but if you're going into a kind of thing like, yeah, I, I, I kind of like some of these traditions that, that you're talking about. Um, I, I like the idea of Bottoms as sort of this kind of hamming it up kind of Western type character with, um, you know, with Takeros or with um, uh, Funaki's character as the, the uh, you know, the purposeless Ronin who's um, you know, trying to, to kind of find his way. But yeah, doing that with like this idea of like a, a Frankenstein clone character, um, kind mm. of merging those traditions, I just think it's a, such a fascinating idea. And again, I wasn't expecting it. I was not expecting to see, you know, Frankenstein mixed with, uh, you know, uh, masterless Ronin, uh, you know, film traditions. I, I wasn't expecting that at all. And to see it pulled off the way it was, I, I, I yeah, it was definitely a pleasant surprise there. I think I was expecting just a, a fun actioner and I got a little bit more than that. Excellent. The um, there's a couple of movies I want to ask if you've seen a uh, the 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 stunt coordinator on this film. Uh, also, he was the fight choreographer on Witness to a Kill with yeah. Gary Daniels, which was the sequel to Queen's Messenger. Yeah. Did you ever see that one? Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, because that's another one that's really hard. That was never released over over here in the UK, and uh, it's quite hard to get hold of. And I've I did have it at one point, uh, you know, I didn't, I'd imported it and I got, and I sold it and I really want to get it back. Cause I remember it was really solid. I mean, Queen's messenger wasn't that great. Um, but I, you know, I love the concept and I, I hope I wanted it to be a, a really good movie. It just didn't quite work, but, um, witness to a kill had some really great, really good action in it for, for, you know, cause we, Gary Daniels quite, a, you know, a fair number of his films, some of them are quite, bland and generic but some you know he can do the action when he's working with the right people um his movies are you know classic and witness to a kill isn't necessarily a classic but i think it's got some really good work in it uh and on the flip side of that he was the uh action director of a japanese film called k20 the fiend with 20 faces which is kind of a black maskish kind of thing but um it's a it's a very big uh, blockbuster fat sort of adventure film, uh, almost like the almost like a an equivalent of like a, a Spider Man movie or something. It's kind of got this kind of superhero kind of thing, but in a classical sort of period setting. Really good film, uh, and and say he did all he did the action for that. So I I would highly recommend both of those films that 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 he's worked on as sort of relatives of, as it were of, of of this and the work that, that appears in this and also say alpha stunts if people haven't if you know if you haven't seen drive 
you've basically got you've got you've got a C drive because that's the that's kind of um, again one of the sort of starting points. That's where you know people uh, groups were getting together, Power Rangers and Drive and stuff. It was all happening around that time, and and we can sort of trace it back. and And that still stands up as well as obviously that's a that's a cult. Say I think you still have to say it's a cult because it's still not really recognised in the mainstream. But Drive uh, uh, with Mark Dacascos and Kadeem Hardison. Uh, for those who are not familiar with it, uh, I'm sure everyone is because um, uh, if you're listening to this or if you're if you're visiting the director of interview connoisseur website and stuff and you don't know drive i'd be very very surprised uh but um but if you haven't then you know that's great so drive and this for me are are two two films that are working in a very similar wheelhouse but they're completely different they're so different drive feels like a quite reasonably budgeted you know theatrical release kind of movie whereas this is um uh it's a bit sort of bit more of a grimy sort of grindhouse-ish kind of experience. Yeah, Drive is another. It's one of those ones that you just you watch it. It's just like another Dacascos movie where you're watching. You're just like, you know, how did this guy not get there? Um, and and you you can you can look at it and say like, okay, you know, Double Dragon was a flop. Um, it was you know what was going on in that movie when you've got him as this massive martial artist and you get Scott Wolf, you know, who was doing a, a, a TV drama um, at the time as his co-star. Um, so, you know, that one didn't work. Crying Freeman didn't get released theatrically here in the U.S. That was, I think that would have been another one that would have been like, whoa, this guy is next level. Um, you know, I mean, DeCascos and, 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 and Daniels, I think you could kind of put in a similar category in that sense that like both just extreme talents who, you know, in, in, in Daniel's case, it was, you know, Fist of the North Star that didn't make it in the U.S. Yes, didn't, make, yes. didn't make it theatrically um you know there, there's like that sliver of like you know the between being van damme and being gary daniels or being seagal and being mark Dacascos that like there's that one little thing that you know wh- whether you, you get that break or not uh because Dacascos, yeah I, when you think of drive it is i mean you know saying it uh, i don't know if play on words saying it's a real vehicle for Dacascos, but i think you know, yeah, I, most people. Yeah, I think I would think most people coming to the site have, have, have seen Drive. I, I actually, I think um, uh, um, Kenner, who does movies in the attic, I think he sent me his copy of Drive, so I would review it because I hadn't reviewed it yet in the site when I first started my site in like oh seven oh eight. Um, he was like, "Yeah, you need to you need to do Drive." Um, so I'm going to send you a copy of it so you can do it. Um, because yeah, it's it's such a, a seminal piece that like yeah, everybody you know. Um, you know, and, and witness to a kill, kind of going back to that one. At least for U.S. Um, listeners, it is available on Tubi. So, ah, cool. Yeah, um, and I, I think you're right. Like I, you know, I was looking, you know, with with that one, I think um, the movie itself does not um, play out as well as this one does in terms of dialogue and, and no, uh, no, no story. But the action, I mean, Daniel's just brings. I, I think when I when I did the review, I think I said that it's, he would have been a better Bond than, than Daniel Craig. I would have liked to have seen him as, as a James Bond. Um, um, I, I still think he would have been a really interesting James Bond. Um, uh, you know, to, to kind of see him sort of do that kind of part. And, and um, you know, he doesn't really do the sophisticated character as much, I think. Um, and maybe that's why. Um, you know, I guess they, they didn't want an unknown to play Bond. They want somebody who's slightly known, I guess. Yeah, I think one of the one of the interesting things about um, the probably elevated witness to a kill was that the director was um, a guy called Daryl Root, who actually did sort of have some sort of theatrical success to a to a degree. He did a film called Dangerous Ground with Ice Cube, which oh, yes. which 
I don't know if that was, I don't think it was necessarily a big hit, but, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a very experienced pair of hands. He's still going today, you know, working on various uh, projects, both, um, I think he works both in America and in South Africa, where he's from. But the, um, uh, I think having him behind the camera on that film helped it, whereas I think the first one was, was a bit, I mean, Queen's Messenger and, and Witness Still Kill, you know, that you don't have, have one is not a, a, a full sequel where you have to see it. it's more like like you say a james bond film kind of thing where you can you can just pick up it's just the same character they're just doing a different story with him but they they, they feel like different movies but i'm desperate to see both of them again because uh, you know they're not easy to get hold of and yeah. um i i, I really want to re- revisit that because the, the potential of what that could have been is probably is is the thing that is most interesting to me because you know that kind of as you say, um, Gary Daniels as a James Bond kind of thing is is such a cool idea, um, and, and I think it was it was the closest we really got to. I don't know if you remember that Gary Daniels was trying to get a, a, a movie off the ground called um, I think it was I think it was the working title was like Union Jack or something. He was trying to go for a really British kind of hero or whatever, and and and, and even like like Queen's Messenger wasn't shot in the UK or whatever. It feels like it should have been. I think, yeah. but uh, but uh, those movies are, I think were shot, say in South Africa and, and, and wherever. But uh, they they weren't British stories. But the, the but yeah, I'm a big. I'm sorry, I've gone off on a Gary Daniels tangent now. But <laughs> <laughs> the that uh, yeah. So the um, but bringing it back to Gary Daniels, he did a film called Fatal Blade, which I think uh, I, I mentioned earlier, which also did this kind of uh, you know east and west you know the animosity then there's kind of a team up thing kind of thing but again that's a film i want to revisit it but it's it's it wasn't anything that sort of lingered you know it's, it was it it kind of sort of came and went it was fine at the time but i felt no you know huge enthusiasm for it like i did a, who knows what you know why do certain things you know like shadow fury you know get into me you know why do we connect with certain films or something i don't know and but for some reason this one is uh, a, a film that I've I've uh, hugely enjoyed uh, the opportunity to revisit it and to discuss it with you, and I'm sure it won't be a hugely long period before I I, I watch it again. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things we get so busy that we don't often get to watch the films we actually remember that we really love because we're so busy with with other things or you know with reviewing and stuff. So uh, to have an, you know to have the excuse the opportunity to um to re- revisit it for for this conversation has been a real pleasure so thank you absolutely well that would be a great place for us to leave it but before we wrap up um uh, uh rich did you want to plug uh, the dtv digest or anything else yeah i'll just me- mention uh say the um uh shadow fury fury did feature as a uh, feature uh, as a feature review on the DTV Digest podcast, we did it on a feature we call the Throwback. So we had a little conversation on there, not as obviously not as in depth as we've had today, but uh, uh, each week on the show, or we're kind of a weekly show, uh, and we try and cover. Uh, we mainly cover new releases, so we're very absorbed with trying to uh, cover uh, films that are being physically or, or digitally released, mainly digitally because we find that the the sort of modern landscape of of director video movies is largely VOD based these days, as well as obviously streaming uh, SVOD kind of 
uh, stuff as well. So we kind of mix all that up. Um, but that again, we got that throwback as like a nice excuse to to look back in time and look back at a favorite or a film we haven't seen for a while and stuff. So uh, if you enjoy, if you're interested in what the sort of current releases are, um, please come over and and check us out there. We've also got um, Facebook and Twitter where we post what uh, what the what are the current successful films. So we do like we post like a top five, which uh, which is. Um, manually put together where we basically go through the top 100 films in the UK, uh, home entertainment uh, films in the UK and extract, extrapolate, you know, what are the DTV releases and, and establish, you know, a chart for that, which is all, which is quite fun and quite interesting to see, you know, how many DTV films there are actually in the market. Uh, we also post about new releases every week, including, you know, very many that we're just unable to cover on the show. Uh, a side note is we also cover short films. We're very passionate about those. And we also have a dedicated Twitter feed for uh, for short films where we post uh, a new short every day. We're very, you know, it won't be too long before we've posted our 500th. So we've, gone, we've been going well over a year now. That is quite a job in itself <laughs> for me to, because that's my kind of my projects is uh, uh, I have a lot of favorites and stuff and I'm always looking for short films, but having the time to, try and uh, watch through uh, short films, both new and old, to see you know what is worth recommending is quite demanding as well. But that we, you know, it's it's uh, that's a real that's a real passion of mine because again, we've got filmmakers who are making films, martial a lot of martial arts stuff as well. You know, they're 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 working to limited a bit like the Shadow Fury team, you know, they're trying to make sort of show pieces and stuff and and to get to that sort of next next level uh and uh there's some really really good stuff uh, out there but we we don't just post martial arts and action with there's you know sci-fi and horror uh, and a little bit you know occasionally a drama and a comedy and stuff so there's something for everyone out there and again if you if you if you don't generally watch short films because there's i mean there's so many out there on youtube and vimeo and stuff but they're not generally promoted I would rec I would recommend seeking out a few, uh, and I'll just name check um, uh, Lee Golden over Film Combat Syndicate because he does quite a lot of work on his website, you know, highlighting uh, uh, the, especially the action films uh, that um, the you know people who are interested in films like Shadow Fury should definitely check out. There's like there was like you know films that I've never you know uh, there was like a Thundercats fan film which was like a it's um, it was actually there's been two of them, but you know they were like covert, so that you didn't know they were Thundercats until the end. They were like they were like these gritty reboot kind of approaches. And you mentioned like what would a you know like a um, you were talking earlier about Power Rangers and like a, a grown up Power Rangers basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, and there was there was a short film which you know fan film essentially starring James Vanderbeek, uh, which was. Uh, you know, a, a gritty, sweary, you know, violent take on Power Rangers, which is really, really worth seeing. Uh, the guy who did it has done quite a few other sort of interesting shorts, including um, uh, it's called Dirty Laundry, but it's basically Thomas Jane having another go at the Punisher, but unofficially. Oh yeah. Where, where? So that's that's oh, kind I have of seen that one. That one I have seen. Yeah. Yes, yeah. which was really good because I, I think it was. It kind of told me it was kind of like the what if, you know, like, OK, yeah, 
I, I shouldn't be blaming Thomas Jane for how that Punisher movie turned out. That it was, you know, that it wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, he 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 didn't have a. It wasn't his decision to make it the way it was made. Um, that yeah, that you know, Thomas Jane was definitely capable of doing a, a really good one there. But um, but yeah, I I think um. Yeah, I, I think through the shorts, like one thing I try to do is if I'm on Twitter and I see that you've posted, you know, a short film, I always kind of mm-hmm. I, I always kind of see it as a very easy way to kind of signal boost. You know, it's like you, you know, there's so many ways to support indie that we always talk about. Like, you know, obviously spending money is the, the most common way you can buy the movie, buy a you know book, whatever it is that somebody's releasing. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's that other piece of it where it's sometimes it's like, you know, it 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 doesn't take a lot to uh to just you know if you see something to just like and re- retweet it and so you know obviously i try to do it with other people's podcasts and stuff but with the short films that you're posting it's like yeah if i can maybe just retweet it out there and, and see if other people see it so that's one thing too if people are, are, are following on twitter um you know uh, there's the dtv shorts um uh dtv digest uh shorts uh account. yeah i should i should i should i should mention yeah it's a it's a it's a dtv short shots short shot, is okay. the account and our and our main twitter is the dtv digester there's, there's no point in me <laughs> plugging stuff and then not telling you what it's actually <laughs> called but uh yeah so the the dtv digest we can be found on twitter and and facebook and and the and the shorts film dt uh, dtv short shots is just on twitter uh, so yeah, thank you for the, for the opportunity and thank you for your support. As I say that is uh, really appreciated because I get very frustrated about wanting to support short films and sort of and and yeah, as you're saying, you know, basically in the same way of doing the kind of retweet thing, just doing those posts is is kind of as much as I can do really to to try and create awareness. And then the other thing, obviously, we do is we we do the feature reviews and and then sometimes we do. Um, short shots dedicated podcasts where we just talk about short films we've done about 15, 14 15 of those uh but we'll usually sort of focus on a genre so so we know if somebody's interested in horror then they might tune in to listen to these but sometimes we'll mix them up but often it's um very sort of focused on okay here's and they're usually recommendation here's like four films that you're probably going to want to see in here or we'll we'll tell tell you why and stuff and you know sort of go into some of the filmmakers and stuff who are involved but uh yeah so i'm yeah so short films are a big if i could do if i had the time or something and i could do like a like a director video connoisseur or or you know come up and reviews kind of website it would probably be devoted to to short films uh if, if i could if i could do it i mean there are some really good ones out there and i do feed from those i do you know crib um you know recommendations and stuff from there so there's a lot about people out there as i say like um lee golden and stuff doing doing a lot more than i'm able to do to to support short films so i'm uh, so there's a there's there's a lot of places you can go to find out about some stuff and and you'll find um you know big name stars in some of these things as well it's like uh jude law did one uh i i, I recently watched a, a comic a, a quite funny one which had robert picardo who's actually done quite a few short films and stuff so you know it's not it's not not all amateurs and inexperienced some of the some of the some of the films are amateur and they can be really very good regardless you know because they because they're very talented people involved but others are very very professional productions some of them with quite decent budgets um there was a horror one we looked at recently which was um made by sony because sony has kind of decided they've only done one today but they kind of established that they were going to do rather than invest straight away in new filmmakers with like a, 
a feature film they're going to sort of test them with a, with a, with a short production so there was a short film uh, they did they launched this uh, offshoot called scream gems from screen gems uh, and they did a film uh, i think i can't remember i think it was called blink or, or something like that I, i'm 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 terrible with trying to remember titles and stuff sometimes but that was a very very polished sort of proof of concept kind of movie and, and a lot of these uh films that uh are sci-fi and stuff they, they are kind of uh made to uh garner interest you know in, in and potentially something else and most of them don't most films uh, they they can be a bit frustrating to watch because they they kind of show you something and then you know i was watching one with them but i mean ralph moller turned up in one it was like a really interesting sort of monster movie-ish kind of thing and Ralph Moller's in it for like two seconds and I was thinking yeah. great I want to see this movie but you can't you know it's the, the, the movie wasn't made it probably it possibly won't ever get made but you get these like little tasters of what could have been and stuff so um and and sometimes uh, sometimes that's frustrating but sometimes I'm just grateful that that's what we've got yeah. and uh yeah it's always nice to see um say especially if it's like Ralph Moller I mean how cool is that I mean <laughs> it's like exactly. I could never I could never anybody who's like um uh of that sort of you know um uh generation i guess of of sort of action actors and, and sort of supported by you know if, if sven old thorson uh t turned up in a short film i'd be over the moon or <laughs> whatever you know so stuff like that but uh yeah so uh thank you for the opportunity to sort of uh talk about that for a bit as well but uh obviously we were mainly here to talk about uh shadow fury and I, I will say for sort of one final time uh thank you so much for uh having me on to uh to share my love of this film yeah no no this was this worked out really well i mean i think you know um you know when we were thinking about what the idea was going to be for this uh for having you back on i think this was a, a really great one and i i i was i really enjoyed it so i'm glad you you recommended it to me as well i think it was a fun one and i think for people out there listening i think you know, right now it is available on YouTube. I think it's worth checking out. Um, it's it's only 90 minutes, um, but I think it, it, it's going to give you a lot more than you're expecting. Um, so uh, definitely everybody check it out. But yeah, thank you again, Rich, for coming on. This was a, a great conversation. Um, and yeah, everybody else, we'll, we'll, we'll be back soon with the DTV Connoisseur. Bye, everyone. sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.